And hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the inside of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And yes, I know, guys, I know I'm by myself today, but that's okay. That's okay. We'll have Alex. He'll be calling in later. He got a little busy today, a little tied up with a bunch of other things. And I get that. You know, it's, you know, kid's busy. You know, he's got, he's got college. And I was about to say college as in like he's in college, like in seat. But, well, here in the state of Michigan, that's not going to be the case here in a couple of days. So, yay, COVID. Woo. But don't worry. That's not the reason why he's not here. He'll be here next week, fingers crossed. So, but. We have a lot to get today. Yeah, a lot to get to today's show. Holy cow! I mean, there's only about a half a cup of coffee in here, so we'll have to drink that as we're going here on Twelve Ounce Sports. As always, thank you for watching. Whether you're watching on YouTube, whether you're watching on Facebook, whether you're watching on the Twitter, whether you're watching on Zingo TV channel seven sixty one. There on Zingo TV, be sure you go on there. Use the promo code Twelve Ounce. That's twelve O Z twelve O Z. For us, for the people that are using proper English, uh, I'm trying to figure out why we're not on YouTube yet. Uh, I don't know what the problem with that is. Uh, let me uh, maybe do I, have to, do I have to search it. Maybe I don't know what's going on here. There's baseball on. I'm like, that's great. No, oh, there we are. We are live. Okay. Ah, I have sound. I don't want to have sound on my laptop. Nobody wants to hear me except for me. Anyways, thank you for tuning in. Of course, we must thank our sponsor today. Now that everything's flip-flopped, I can say it properly. MyBookie.ag. NFL season in full swing. Lots of action. Holy cow, you guys had Kyler Murray play. The last second Hail Mary there. A big win there for the Cardinals. How about the Lions winning a football game? On a weekend where no other team in the state of Michigan wins a... Well, okay, hold on. Central Michigan won last week. But I'm talking Big Ten football. Michigan. Yeah, I'm wearing the shirt because of their other team that actually did something this weekend. That other team on the football field was awful. Michigan State, you can ask Kelly about that. Didn't go well either. But, yes, the Lions won yesterday. So go on mybookie.ag and maybe bet on the Lions next week. I don't think you'd ever want to bet on the Lions because I'm sure when you actually think they're going to win... They won't because it's the Lions. So go on mybookie.ag and hopefully win some money by not betting on the Lions. Use the promo code 12OunceSports there to sign up for free, win, and get paid using mybookie.ag. And of course, Second String Leather Company up there in that top right corner. Second String Leather Company right now, half off of all of their wallets, guys. Big sale going on there at secondstringleathercompany.com. Go on there. And I don't have my wallet next to me. I can't show you guys what one of them looks like because they have such a wide range anyways. You don't want to see one wallet. You want them all. Buy them all at secondstringleather.com. Hashtag crafted from the crease. And of course, I cannot forget to say, look at our stuff, guys. We have stuff too. Look at that stuff. Oh my goodness. We have our own merchandise. Look at all that cool stuff. Man, look at that. T-shirts, hoodies. We even have the Five Timers Club shirts that Harrison and Thomas won last week. You can go on there on my on teespring.com slash storage slash the Cule Show. Make sure you put the dashes in between the Cule and Show so you can get on there and get all of your cool TKS swag. Make sure you get all the cool stuff there on Teespring. On today's program, got a lot to get to today, guys. I'm not going to be alone for this show either. I'm going to start off the show talking about the bubble, a possible bubble, excuse me, for the National Hockey League. We're also going to be talking about college hockey. We're going to get into college hockey scoreboard. We're going to make that a thing. Obviously, only four games happened this weekend, but I digress. We'll talk about that. I'll also be having an interview with Mitch O'Keefe later, former Fair State goaltender, now coaching over in Austria for TWK Innsbruck. He's the head coach over there. I was able to record an interview with him because, well, kind of mentioned during the interview, 
it's about six hour difference right now. So unless he wanted to start the show at about 12 o'clock midnight out there in Austria, I'm pretty sure he's okay with doing a recorded interview ahead of time. So it'd be fun to talk to him. Check out the, wait for that interview. that will probably be coming up at the bottom of the hour at the top of the next hour, hour two of today's program of TKS here on 12 ounce sports. Oh gosh. Wife's yelling at me. What? It's snowing. It's snowing outside guys. Oh my goodness. Did we bet on how much snow was going to fall? We should have bet. We should have done that one dumb bet thing or whatever. Love you. I will. Oh yeah. Hey, she says, wear your mask, everyone. Yes. Especially with talking about how COVID shutting everything down here in Michigan. Wear your masks, everyone. That's a great way to start the show. Holy cow. Yeah, that's a great look. I'm just looking back at myself and me just opening up my curtain over here. My, my dark shade or whatever to make sure there's no light in though, even though it's actually pitch black outside at this point, regardless, where the heck was I? Dang it, Kelly. Where was it? Oh yes. On today's program. Peyton Turnage is going to come on because Alabama Huntsville seems like they'll be around for a while. We'll talk to him about not just this year's team, but the future of the Chargers program, what their what conference they may be in, how they're going to look in the future. They may have an own their own rink in the future. Knock on wood. We'll talk to him about that in our number two. And we'll also talk about the reverse retro jerseys have been released. Yes, I said jerseys, everyone. Y'all happy about that now? I said jerseys. We will have Alex on for sure about that to have him. We'll break down each of the jerseys. I don't think I can post any of the pictures. I keep seeing websites post them, but then again, I think a lot of those publications, online publications have actual legal access to them. I don't. So for the sake of this you know, episode not getting shut down by the National Hockey League, I'm just going to let you guys, I'll, I'll put a link in there. I got my link from The Athletic. You can go on Twitter. They have them all on there. Really interesting breakdown that we're going to do on each and every single one of the 31 teams, even though the Vegas Golden Knights don't really have much of a retro thing. And yes, we will talk about the Winnipeg Jetsters and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, then, like I said, every single team. We'll get to all of those in just a little bit, making sure that we're all good on all platforms, which we are because we are alive. We are alive and well for the most part, I think. Alive and we're doing okay. We're we're surviving, making sure we're shared all of our favorite pages. Of course, don't share to Wood TV. That would be completely awkward. I mean, it'd be good publicity if we shared to a random radio station's Facebook page, but I'm pretty sure, uh, pretty sure uh, my uh, my boss wouldn't appreciate it. Tyler, how would you get on the Wood Radio Facebook page? Let's call it dumb luck. How about that? No. So we will get to all of that and more. So let's start off first with the the talk of there possibly being a bubble to start off the National Hockey League, or at least a multiple bit of bubbles. So during the Paley International Council Summit, Gary Bettman, poor, per Nick, excuse me, that was my chicken coming up, Nick Kostica, talking about how the, the NHL has not ruled out teams playing in their own barns. They haven't done that. That has not happened yet. Because obviously the, the goal is to have everyone play in their own ranks, just like Major League Baseball, just like the National Football League. And you're just going to have to kind of deal with positive COVID tests, similar to how the other, the prior two leagues that I mentioned have done this season. Is it going to be a little interesting? Is it going to be a little weird? Yes, but these are very trying times we live in right now. Heck, right now, like I said, here in the state of Michigan, all non-collegiate or non-professional sports have been canceled. So right now, you'll still have NCAA football, You'll still have NCAA hockey for now. The Lions will play, and that's, well, I guess that's all they have right now here in the state of Michigan. Those, all those, and I guess Central and Western as well. 
Who is texting me? This better be good. Hopefully, I'm not making anyone mad, am I? Your audio sounds messed up. Wow, Cooper's listening to me. How bad's my audio? Is my audio bad? Let me make sure it's not all funky. Am I catching something else here? Oh, there we go. Okay, that's probably the thing what happened. Um, <laughs> thank you, good buddy Cooper Weidenthaler, and for reminding, let me know that probably what happened was it probably sounded like I was in stereo. So thankfully, we when we record this, it may not sound like that. God bless it. So moving on about the bubble, the the idea is the fact that the NHL may use a like regional bubbles is from the words I'm getting out right now. Now, it's all signs are pointing. While everything is still speculation, while everything is still up in the air right now, there may or may not be a all-Canadian division. It's seeming more and more likely for that to be the case. Let me just make sure here. Okay, good. Thanks, Cooper. Thanks, Coop, for letting me know that my audio was absolute garbage. No, I... (laughs) But I, I like the idea. I mean, the all-Canadian division thing, yes, does it stink because similar to how baseball is, they're all going to have to try to play each other in the playoffs. Yes, it'll be a little funny. But for the time being, for the international limitations on travel, you need to have as much restrictions as possible. This is not MLB where you can just move Toronto down to Buffalo. This is not the NBA where they're either looking at Nashville, they're looking at Tampa, they're looking at different areas for the Raptors to play in if they're not allowed to go into Canada. Because especially with this massive surge in coronavirus cases, that's even less and less likely. Hence, why the NHL, which has seven teams in in Canada, you can bubble them up. You can either bubble them up there or let them stay up there, go across the country, and they'll be okay with it and it'll be comfortable. Now, yes, you move down to the States, you're going to have a West, you're going to have a Central, you're going to have an East. Now, these may be similar, once again, guys, talking about the MLB, they may have them play all the regional teams, but they'll count towards the division stands that they're placed in. Or, for what I'm also hearing whispers about, there may be a possible just grouping for this one season, for this quote-unquote special season. You'll have a Pacific division, you'll have a Central division, an East division, and a Canadian division. You have four divisions still, but that's how they'll be separated. They'll probably end up playing the top four in each division, and then you'll put probably the Canadian division with the East, and then the Central with the Pacific, and that'll be your two conferences. Maybe. Unless the NHL is thinking something different. Unfortunately, I don't have Bill Daly in my back pocket to text him and call him. Fridge has been pretty quiet. Fridge is on vacay, apparently, because the last time I heard from him was on Tim and Sid, which carries me. I'll wait to that next point here. But going back to the possible regional bubbles, it's and the, here's the thing too. It's not the going to be the entire season. You're not going to play the say they play sixty games. We'll just go with that right now. I'm thinking leaning more towards fifty because it gives them a little bit more wiggle room to add games in and out for postponements due to COVID cases. But let's just say sixty right now. You're not going to have all sixty games played inside a this. It's a possible divisional bubble. We'll just go for the heck of it. We'll just say. Denver in the West, Chicago in the Central, maybe St. Louis. East could be, I don't say New York because that's just a disaster right now. Maybe Florida just because, I mean, I say Florida now, but I'm not sure. I don't really know where it's a good place in the East because I keep hearing from like almost every part of the region down the coastline. It's just awful with COVID cases. 
but I'm not quite sure. Ontario's had a massive influx of cases, so obviously Edmonton could be the possible spot. However, that may interfere because don't forget, the World Junior Tournament, guys, is going to be up in Edmonton, and they're going to have a bubble for that tournament in Rogers' place, just like they did for the Stanley Cup playoffs in the West and then in the Conference Finals and Stanley Cup Finals. So that may be not an option, at least for the beginning of the season. Because that's what it sounds like this is going to be. They're shooting for January 1st, and they're going to be for a short time, to the beginning of the season, arguably the first third to maybe half of the season. It's not going to be the full regular season. That's the one thing. The idea is that they want to have each team play in their own barns. The Canadian division is almost a shoot at this point. But, so we'll just speak about Canada. It may be Toronto. It may be. It could even be Vancouver. It could be Vancouver maybe the bubble for the All-Canadian Division. That was, a, that was a venue that was in the running last year for the playoffs, for the return to play in the National Hockey League. So that may be an option there. It could also be Calgary. Not as big as Edmonton, but you could easily do something there. Obviously, Toronto worked out. If you're able to seclude that area and actually make sure that no one goes in there, that's positive because, like I said, those cases have risen almost as dramatically as Michigan has. So that could be an area possibility. Montreal, it seemed like Montreal fell out of the running really quickly last year with the playoff bubble in the East, so I don't think they'll have a chance. But the point is, is that early on, you are going to see a bubble. Possibly. Just with everything going on right now with these rising cases, that may, that's seeming more and more possible. Now, here is the interesting part. Going back to the Tim and Sid appearance from Elliot Friedman, I believe it was last week, before he went on full vacation. Because he just did our 31 thoughts. I was not able to listen to it yet. I'll try to get to that tomorrow so we can report on it maybe next week. One thing he mentioned was more outdoor games. And I was really intrigued by that because I wrote an article back in my old blogging days, my old self-blogging days, Hold the Pucks days. I wrote an article, and this was after the Capitals whooped on the Leafs over there at, in, in Annapolis, Maryland one of the stadium series games. I said, I'm like, are these outdoor games passe? Are they old hat? Are they, is there too much? Because yes, there was the one year you had two games at Yankee Stadium. You had, I believe, two other stadium series games, the Winter Classic and the Heritage Classic all in one year. Now, granted, for a lot of people that love outdoor hockey, this was entertaining. This was exciting. But you know what? Maybe not be a good idea. Maybe it would end up being too much. The viewership went down. And yes, it was great. They were able to play a couple games in California, but eventually you realize, man, this is too much. And that's why last year at the Cotton Bowl, it was such a big deal because that was the one outdoor game. Going back to the premise of the 2008 Warner Classic, where I was like, hey, this is big. This is awesome. Okay, we can. This is good. We don't need more than one game. And that's why they're going to have Minnesota be a home for it this year because Minnesota and Chicago, when they played their stadium series, stadium series came at, I believe, what is it? TCF bank state, whatever the university of Minnesota is great atmosphere. And that's probably where they're going to go back for the winter classic. Again, maybe target field, but I would, I think it was target may have been target field. Regardless, I think it should be in football stadiums because it's got more of the oval shape. Regardless, back to the regular season coming up. I like the idea of out, and the reason why out, outdoor games work is because they're open air, less likely to be in an enclosed area and contract, contract something. 
Now, here's the thing. When you hear outdoor games, you're thinking, oh my gosh, why would you put a game in a stadium when no one's going to be there? Why would you put a game in a ballpark when it's going to be emptier than snot? Listen, this is not necessarily the case on having games with, in a stadium with fans because there was whispers early on about playing a game on Lake Louise, that beautiful rink sheet of ice up in the mountains. Now, it's not going to work because unfortunately, Mystery Alaska is just not a possibility right now. But the idea is that they have a game in an outdoor rink. It may be a legit public outdoor rink. It's like you see the Red Wings, the Leafs. I believe the Chicago, I'm not sure if Chicago practices in an outdoor rink every so often. But I love the idea of playing games in those kind of venues. Because imagine the viewing experience. And a good buddy of mine, Chris Voss, who's actually called the Michigan-Arizona State game last night, for Big Ten Network, was actually part of Fox Sports North Hockey Day in Minnesota broadcast. And their rink there, and I've watched it in the past as well, it's literally a rink put in the backyard of a school or in a massive field with some metal bleachers placed around. So for family and friends or whatever, as many people they can fit there. It's more for just having the kids play outdoors. These kids don't need to go to you know, they don't need to go to University of Minnesota's football stadium. They don't need to do that. They don't need to go play at Lambeau. Just give them a sheet of ice outside, chicken wire fencing if you want to get really basic with it, and let them play. Make sure it's 200 by 85 feet, obviously. You want to make sure it's regulations, the dumb trapezoid, the whole nine yards. Make sure the ice is flat as well. That's also a pretty important deal. And let them play. That's, what more do you need? A sheet of ice? Legalized boards? I guess you'd have, probably have to do glass for the NHL's sake because obviously you want to make sure it's as real as possible so you, you don't come back and say, we lost that game up up in where the heck was that Manitoba and the reason why we lost is because the puck died off the chicken wire and any other rink would go to bounce off the glass right back out in front. It's okay, you don't want to have that. So I guess you would have to do glass at these venues, but you don't need to have fans. Heck, you could put a game on. Remember how Ottawa and Montreal, they made a big deal about playing at Parliament Hill? Do that! Play a game right in front of Parliament Hill up there in Ottawa. Build a rink right on the hill there and shoot. If some you know Parliament members get off on lunch or whatever, they just walk down and socially distance themselves outside, sit on the hill, put their butts in the snow and watch the game for themselves. Sure. What's the problem with that? As long as they're socially distant, obviously. Make sure that's a thing. But I like the idea that the, the league is trying to figure out what they want to do. They're not just looking at it from, you know, hey, let's just let's just hope everything goes well and Nobody gets sick because that's going to happen if you have teams travel from space to space because the idea is that they start with a bubble early on, going back to the bubbles, the bubble idea now. If you play inside a bubble for the first third of the season, first half of the season, the idea is that hopefully this somewhat gets a little more under control. It's seeming like as these cases are rising, people are learning more and people, I mean, you keep hearing about these vaccines that are possible. I'm as someone who's married to someone in the medical field and talks to people in the medical field, that may not be the end, ga- the, end ga- the end game for this disease. It may continue on, but at least they're trying. So maybe by the time that we hit the second half of the season, towards the latter half, towards the spring, when people start going outside, it may be easier to have more people go outside. So I would love to think that the league is coming close to a decision, but we'll just have to wait and see. We'll get some more college hockey talk later. We'll talk about the Ivy League not allowing their teams to play. But we must debut-ish, if you will, debut the lovely new little prospect we have coming up here on the Huel Show. 
something I kind of created here. We're calling it the College Hockey Scoreboard, where we'll recap all of the great weekend action across the game of NCAA hockey. Only four games this weekend. We're supposed to have Long Island taking on Army, Army West Point, so it's going to be Brett Riley taking on his uncle on the other side of the bench. But we saw some great action, Wisconsin and Notre Dame. This was a series that not a lot of people thought was going to go by the way of the Badgers. They had one of the worst goals against averages last season. We're the bottom of the Big Ten Conference, but they showed their stuff thanks to in that first game, as you see there, a 2 nothing win. Robbie Baydoon, 25-save shutout. He was outstanding. Wisconsin got goals from Linus West Weisbeck and a goal from Dylan Holloway, Edmonton Oilers prospect. They also won game two, a 5-3 game, a very interesting back-and-forth game where Dylan Holloway had an absolute ripper of a shot to end up being the game-winning goal in that one. Ryden Donovan, as you see there, two goals for the Badgers in that win, placing them 2-0 after the opening weekend of their season. Arizona State, remember, they're part of the Big Ten Conference this season. They had themselves a tough game, couple games against the University of Michigan. It seemed like a great matchup, but the Wolverines showed that they're ready to play. They have a lot of good freshmen. They actually had, in that 8-1 win on Saturday, they had 14 players register points, five of them being freshmen, including Matthew Beners, the U.S. National Development Team prospect. He was a freshman. Two goals in his first collegiate game. You had a Kent Johnson registering four assists. Owen Power, who was supposed to have asked possibly go to the Canadian Junior Team for the World Junior Tournament. The Michigan's not allowing him to do that, but he had a goal and two assists. Cam York, the veteran defenseman, a goal and two assists. Strauss Mann with the win there. And yesterday, a 3-0 win, and really could have been a lot worse had it not been the play for Cole Brady for Arizona State. He had himself an outstanding game, stopping 44 of the 47 shots that he faced. Michigan gave him everything he had. He had goals. He had a pretty great goal from Kent Johnson. Had a goal from Jimmy Lambert. Michigan starting off 2-0. We'll have a lot more games as we move forward with the, excuse me, with the, um, as I cannot talk all of a sudden, with the schedule starting up because next weekend you're going to have Hockey East coming back, Atlantic Hockey starting up, ECAC, like I said, with Ivy League not allowing their team to try to reconfigure their schedule. They may be starting later. West WCHA action is going to start up. A lot of interconference games starting with them. Their conference schedule doesn't start after till after Thanksgiving. NCHC is starting to play a couple of games. Their schedule doesn't fully start until December the 1st. So like I said, a lot, a lot of action going on with college hockey. That's something we're going to do, excuse me, weekly here on TKS. So we can keep you up today on college hockey. And that's why I wore my Michigan shirt today because... Well, people have been telling me that apparently I wore, I've worn like black shirts for the last like month and a half of the show. So I'm like, I'll put some color in it today. And I, because I either, it's either Canada, Fair State, or Michigan. That's really all I have for red shirts. I mean, well, by red, I also have like Toronto SC, the Raptors, and, and what's the other red shirt I have? Toronto. I think that's it. No, I got my old Blue Jay shirt. I still got that up there. But, yeah, so a lot to still go on there with college hockey. The season's just getting started. Hopefully, we continue on as I knock on this wood. So, now, we're going to go to a, speaking of college hockey, we're going to stick with it, and we're going to talk a little bit about a goaltender's pass, a guy that actually played at Ferris State. We're going to talk to none other here with Mitch O'Keefe, and that interview is coming to you right now. Woo! 
Welcome back to the Cule Show, everyone, here on 12 Ounce Sports. Yes, I know, guys, you're wondering, why are we not doing video? Well, we have a very special interview, a obviously pre-recorded interview, because we are talking to the head coach of HC Innsbruck all the way from Austria. He played here in North America from Ferris State to stints in the American Hockey League. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Mitch O'Keefe. Mitch, how are you doing today, sir? Oh, not doing too bad. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I should probably mention to everyone, the reason why it's pre-recorded is because of the fact, as I mentioned to Mitch just before we went live here, is the fact that it's about a five-hour difference between Austria and West Michigan. And, you know, Mitch, as much as we'd love to have you on during our live show, I'm pretty sure you don't want to be up in the middle of the night talking to two random guys from Michigan. So we appreciate you taking the time today. <laughs> no worries at all. It worked out great. So, and I should also mention this is our second try at this because, well, uh, Uh, dummy Tyler here decided he would have some issues with the mixer the first time we tried this. So take two so far. So good. Plenty of time to mess it up though, Mitch. Um, (laughs) but let's go over your career because I, as I mentioned to you before, we reached out to you. I'm a fan. I've, you know, I've followed Ferris state, been a fan since I was a kid because big rapids is less than an hour away from where we're at here in grand rapids. And, you know, looking back at, cause I remember when you came in to, I'm like, oh, this Mitch O'Kee. First of all, the first thing I think of is, hey, look, it's an Irish name. Um, but, <laughs> you know, you have a couple good years there. What brought you, because you played, obviously, in the through the Canadian junior ranks, the junior A ranks, what persuaded you to come to Ferris State and play college hockey here in the United States? Um, well, first of all, playing in uh, NCAA Division One was always my goal. Um, I was drafted by the Peets, and I made the team at 17, but I, I really wanted to go the college route. And um, a friend of mine I played in the Tier 2 league, uh, Jeff Legui, uh, he went to Ferris and he said he had an amazing experience there. And Coach Lalonde, uh, now with uh, Tampa, he recruited me and it was a great experience and I loved every second of Ferris. It was an awesome time there. It's, it's, inc- it's a very unique experience because it is pretty much a college town. It's a very basic town. It's, I would, I don't want to say it's in the middle of nowhere, but once before big rapids and after big rapids, Mitch, there's, there's not a lot around the, the, <laughs> the city of big rapids for sure. No, no, it's a, it's a great college community and, uh, the blue line members there and everyone that helped the team, they, it was like a big family. It was a great time. And, uh, they're still doing a great job there with all the, now it's back to the CCHA and I hope Ferris has some success there and continues to build that program. Yeah, I mean, looking back, looking back at playing at Ferris State, because at that time the CJHA was it wasn't there was no inclination that they were on their downturn. It seemed like they were at their peak because you had a yeah. real good Michigan program. You had you know one of your counterparts and a guy that actually played in Europe himself. We had him on the show before, Jeff Lurg playing at Michigan State. There was a time, and you had Jordan Pierce playing well at Notre Dame as well. There was a really good time, Mitch, where the CCHA was just loaded with excellent goaltending talent. Yeah, it was a, definitely a tough a tough, uh, tough few teams in that league. And Notre Dame was very strong. Michigan was, was just stacked with a bunch of players. I remember. And, and, uh, even Western Michigan was good. Lake state, everyone, and even those other small, uh, colleges were very, very competitive. And every weekend was a battle. It was, it was fun hockey. And to be honest, I really missed it. Yeah. And you yourself, you had some pretty good numbers. Your last year at Ferris State, you had a 920 save percentage and a 227 goals against average. What were your, some of your favorite moments playing for Bob Daniels and the Bulldogs? Uh, I think the best parts about that was just uh, being on the road with the guys. Um, 
experience in different colleges and things like that. And I had some of the big games. I remember when we, we beat Michigan in overtime and on their senior night. So that was a fun one for our group. Um, cause we had a lot of guys from Michigan that would have loved to go there, I'm sure. But to beat them on a big night like that was, it was a great experience for everybody and really helped our team build a lot of chemistry. And it was, it was, it was a good, it was, that was one of the best ones I'd say for sure. Yeah, and then then you go after the or at the end of the 08 season, you start to actually make your way into the pro ranks. I even remember that you signed a a, a PTO. Was it a PTO with the Griffins for the? For yeah, P- yeah, PTO. It was when uh, Howard was injured or up. I'm not. Rem- I don't remember which. But then I went down there for a week, two weeks, and it it was a good experience just to jump in there for practices and sit a couple games on the bench just to see that level of play and what it takes to be there and. It was a really good learning experience, to be honest. Yeah, those, and I, you know, I never obviously got to that level, but even I, when I just did my stints in the single A pro level, I thought it was just great experience to kind of progress. And, you know, you mm-hmm. go to Grand Rapids, you play a couple games in Iowa before the end of the season, and then you sign with Binghamton. What for you, yeah. Mitch, was the biggest change between Ferris State, NCAA Division One hockey, and the AHL, ECHL route? Uh, definitely you're playing with men. You're not playing with your colleagues from college. You're playing with guys that have made a professional career out of this and one step away from playing in the top league in the, in the world. And, uh, and that Binghamton team was an extremely tough team. We had probably one of the toughest teams in the league with LeBlanc, Lee Clarkner, Danny Bois, like Zach Smith. Uh, we were very tough. So it was intimidating to be honest as a rookie in that team, seeing how those guys prepare for games and, the day-to-day battles they had to endure and yeah no it was it was definitely something that was the biggest change for me my gosh danny boy like though like i I, it's funny i look back on it mitch you know even even ncaa hockey and how the pro game was a little over a decade ago the game has changed so much because now you go you know we go to griffin's games and i remember back in the ihl days it was fight night every friday night saturday night's not so much but always fight night how have you seen the pro game changed here in North America? Obviously, you played a lot more in Europe nowadays, but looking back on it, how do you think the game has changed from when you were in the AHL and ECHL to now how it is, more of a skill development type of leagues? Uh, the, the big thing for me is the speed. Uh, now that I'm coaching at a high level in Europe, it, it's you'd want to try and take time and space from teams and control their areas and try and limit their time with the puck, but it's hard to really have that clutch and grab like it was when I started playing. Guys could hold on to guys a little more and hook them and ride them up the ice. And and if someone was getting on a line, you could step in and intimidate them. But it's not like that anymore. And uh, it, it is a lot more exciting to watch. But I think a lot of people do miss that other side of it a little bit. But I think it's better for the, the health of the players to continue the path that it's on at the moment, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's a different kind, and I that's one thing I notice is like it's just so different. It's enjoyable fans because it's high scoring, high offense. But then there's like that slight, you know, nostalgia side of me. I'm like, man, I remember when Chris Neal would go in there and just fight guys five times a game way back in the day, of yeah. course. So <laughs> yeah. you play a couple years in the ECHL. Then in 2010, 2011, you decide to go overseas and decide to go play in the league that you're actually coaching in now. What kind of made that decision? You know, you had a couple of, you know, good, decent years in the ECHL ranks, but then you decided to go play overseas, which, you know, is, I mean, it's a lot, a lot of guys that come out of college, they started to do, especially recently. What made you want to go play in the EBEL? Uh, it was mostly just for the life experience. I wanted to try uh, a year over in Europe. Uh, it wasn't the best year for me. Uh, 
but it was also it was a, it was fun away from the rink getting to travel and see things because there is that other side of life it's not always about hockey you need to enjoy every little part of it and um but it was a fun experience it is a good league i don't think i was quite expecting the pace of it back then i wasn't sure what i was getting into but uh but i after that i decided to go back uh to play with a pretty good team in las vegas for three years and and those were uh, some of the funnest years I played. Uh, very tight-knit group. We had a lot of the same guys for three years. And it was a great experience. And then after that, I, I decided to go back over again uh, to France. And uh, for three years again, I played in the same team. And that was one of the best experiences. Again, the last six years of my hockey career were some of the most enjoyable for sure. Yeah, let's let's jump. We'll get to obviously playing in, in France here in just a second, but let's go back to the Las Vegas. You played three years with the Wranglers, have some pretty good numbers, some pretty good years playing in the ECHL. And of course, some people don't realize that you know they look at the AHL and the NHL. They see obviously a lot of transition because of all these prospects coming in and out of the AHL. ECHL is yes, there'll be some guys that are on NHL contracts that have been sent down for development, but a lot of those teams will stick around. I mean, shoot, I, I covered Kalamazoo for a couple of years here. And I can tell you, there were guys that were there for like five years, but that's just kind of the yeah. way ECHL works. You have your prospects, but you have your, you know, your veterans that are meant to help develop these kids, and they'll be around the team for about five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they definitely find their niche there, and a lot of those guys that stick around are glue guys, good guys around the room, and good pros, and you want them around everybody else and try and sell the uh, the uh, the chemistry of what the coach wants and the and the character and and just try and push that towards the other guys and get everyone to buy in. So a lot of coaches that are in the same area, they like to keep those guys they can trust, and and that's usually how it works out. Yeah, and, and one thing I love, love to think is people, some people forget, Las Vegas has had a long history with minor league franchise. They had an IHL team back in the 90s, the Wranglers up until recent memory. And I will say this, Mitch, I, when the Vegas Golden Knights were announced or they were announced they a team in Las Vegas, I just, I bashed it because I'm like, there's no way it's going to work. It, it can't work in a city like Las Vegas. But you see, and you say like that was one of your best experiences playing pro hockey was in Las Vegas. You kind of mm-hmm. had a precursor. You had the knowledge that hockey can work in Las Vegas. Why did, why did you think that, why do you think Vegas worked in a city or in an area like Las Vegas playing pro hockey? Uh, it's, it's hard to explain really, but, um, we had, we played in a rink with about 7,000 seats and it was minimum 5,000 on a Tuesday night. It, 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 the community there loves, loves hockey. And as soon as I heard it was happening for the NHL team, I didn't know if they'd be able to fill it every night with 18,000, but uh, I'm not surprised. The community loves hockey there. It's a fun game to watch. And they were really, really excited to have that, uh, in the desert and, They've had a lot of hockey there for a long time, and it's always been successful. And they've had some good teams and good coaches through those minor systems move up. And no, it's 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 they're doing a really good job there. And I think with the Henderson uh, Silver Knights or whatever they're called now, they're they're going to do well too. They're going to have a good community base there too in Henderson, and they'll, they'll definitely have some success. Yeah, they're right down the road from the Vegas Golden Knights, a little bit outside of town, but still pretty almost not within walking distance, but still pretty close for sure. And it's always mm-hmm. great to see because everyone always harps. Like, as I've realized looking back on history, like everyone said, oh, hockey in Florida, that can't work. Hockey in California, that can't work. Hockey in Las Vegas, it can't work. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it works. I mean, because I guess and whether you <laughs> yeah. call whether you point it to the fact that there's the snowbirds that like to go south for the winter or the fact that, 
you know, hey, people may just like hockey all around North America. I mean, I mean, you grew up in Ontario, obviously one of the biggest, you know, products of hockey. And like you said, you're drafted by the Peterborough Peets in the OHL. So, I mean, was there like a big transition for you to go from, you know, hockey mecca Ontario to Las Vegas, which is the entertainment mecca of the United <laughs> States? Was there like a big change for you culture wise? Uh, definitely the weather was better. <laughs> it was definitely a lot more. 110 degrees every snow. day. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, that's why I think a lot of, uh, players, uh, high end players will want to play there, uh, in Vegas. So as you can see, they do a pretty good job with, with the roster they have and players would say nothing but great things about the city. Uh, the housing and the community, everything. It's, it's very nice. And, and I think, uh, I think they're going to do very well again for a long time there. A lot of people want to play there at some point in their career. Yeah. That's one thing I heard. I was talking to a couple of guys when Arizona state first became D one and they said like, yeah, they have an easy recruiting tactic talking about the weather. And mm-hmm. it's like, how would you like to show up to practice <laughs> in shorts? You know, yeah, all, exactly. All, all of us up here in Michigan were thinking, yeah, you know, in January, that'd be nice. Uh, we're already starting. Yeah. To, we already saw snow the other day here in West Michigan. So we're, we're getting to that trend pretty quickly here. So, so you go to France in the starting in the fourteen fifteen season. You play your last three seasons in uh, in League Magnus is the league out there in France for Amien. And you know, mm-hmm. you talk about the experience there. And people on this side of the pond, they look at you know when they look at European hockey, the big three leagues. I guess you can say four for an account Liga. There is KHL, the Swiss League or the Swedish League, and a little mm-hmm. bit of the Swiss League and the Dell as well. So I guess the top five, if you will. But yeah, a lot of people kind of knock and we'll get to obviously the Austrian league here in a second, but people like don't look at the French league as much. And even the English hockey league, those are still very competitive leagues with very incredible talent. I remember Cristobal Huey played in that French league for a while after he was excommunicated from the NHL. It seemed like, like tell, tell yeah. people why the French league deserves more, I guess, more exposure on this side because of the talented hockey that is there. Well, there's when you look at those teams and like those leagues, like the UK and France, those players in those leagues are on the national team, and those national teams do very well in uh, in the world stage nowadays. And uh, you're playing against national team players, and every team has ten imports, all from AHL East Coast, so it's very high caliber hockey. Um, and it's like that in the UK as well. I think they're allowed fifteen imports per team, and when you're going to bring an import to the probably pretty good players too. They look for the best that they can get. And uh, there's a lot of hockey players out there um, that don't want to stick around in the coast or are sick of being in the A and they jump ship. And some of those clubs in those leagues have very high budgets uh, compared to even some of the teams in our leagues. They have higher budgets. So a lot of clubs in those levels are very, very good. Uh, Denmark as well, Norway, um, they all have some very high, high end players. So, it's a, it's a great experience for players to come over after they've had enough of North America and, and play good hockey and see some beautiful areas of the world. And and it's funny because I always like to look at the and I I, cause I harped on it because there was a video that I saw gosh probably ten years ago now on YouTube back when I never did anything better in my life than just watch YouTube videos all the time. It was a <laughs> comparison video between. North American hockey fans and European hockey fans. Now, yes, you have your moments, you know, where people like if Chicago is really good, they get really rowdy and fans at the Nassau Coliseum. We talked with Chris King on one of our recent episodes here of the Kula show. And we talked about how rowdy that crowd was when John Tavares went back to the island and how just unmercifully, just how loud their boos were and whatever. 
But European <laughs> yeah. hockey fans, it's different because I, I don't know if this was for your team or not, but something I've seen is they treat it like a, and over there, a football match, except indoors with, instead of, you know, 80,000 yeah. people at new camp, it is, you know, seven, eight, 10,000 people inside. What was that experience? Like the difference between North American fans and the European fan base over there in France? Yeah. My, uh, first game, um, I forget where we went. I, well, my first game in Europe, I, we when I was uh, in this league, we went to Hungary, and uh, they had one of the oldest rinks I've ever seen. And but every single fan in that rink stood the whole game, and I think every fourth person had a war drum banging the whole game. So just the sound and the emotion and everything, it just took it to another level, and it was such a fun experience. And and a lot of places like that over here uh, are the same way. So. It's it's definitely different. It's a lot. It's more of like a college atmosphere, I would say, than uh, professional. It's just a lot of noise, a lot of energy, and it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I was about to say because you played at Ava Glavin Ice Arena, which is famous for the dog pound, and of course there were the back then there was the rivalry not just between Western Michigan and Ferris State, but between the dog pound and the Lawson Lunatics. So <laughs> yeah, I know th- those would get a little interesting, but I'm pretty sure it almost seems like European fans take that to a T just because of how mm. passionate they are. It doesn't matter who they are. Like that is their city, that is their team and no matter where no matter who they're playing, no matter how bad their team is, they will show up and just go nuts at sometimes. Yeah. I'm sure you've experienced oh, a lot of a lot of pride in their communities and their clubs. It's for sure a lot like soccer and you know, football they call it here, but it's it's a lot like that for sure. So, your playing career wraps up at the end of 2017 after the French Cup's over. You hang them up and you decide to go into coaching. Now, some people mm-hmm. think right away, you know, some people take some time off, but you jumped right into it, helping out in the Swiss league with Lugano being a goalie advisor. What was that kind of in the back of your mind that you wanted to start coaching Mitch? Or was that kind of like, Oh, look, here's an opportunity for me to stay in the game. How did that transition go from goaltender on the ice to helping out with the goaltenders as a coach? I definitely wanted to do it uh, right after playing. I just wanted to make sure I could find the right opportunity. And I coached a lot with goalies and other players and uh, in junior programs in France when I played there as well, uh, coaching the junior team there uh, as an assistant. Um, but also, it, uh, no, it was definitely, it's a passion of mine. It's hockey's what I love and it's what I've wanted to stay in and make a career out of as long as I possibly can and Coaching just seemed like the best next best next thing to to stay in and uh, help. And uh, when I went uh, to Lugano and realized how uh, how these coaches work, and I learned a lot. Um, and then after that, I decided to take a a job with the LA uh, LA Kings uh, uh, junior programs for youth, and I took a job over in China and Beijing for two years. How how was that? Because the NHL, you know, for a couple of years there, they were like, we're really pushing to get hockey in China because obviously the next Olympics, next Winter Olympics are going to be in Beijing. And the NHL is looking like at looking at that as a possible real growth expansion, at least into because they do have, you know, Kunlin Red Star there in the KHL and for a brief time had a, a team in the Canadian Women's Hockey League. What kind of a transition was that? Obviously, playing in Europe, it's a different you know atmosphere to North America. What about going to China and trying to develop the game? That was a completely different beast, to be honest. It's like uh, Europe is it's different in its own way from North America, but when you head to China, it's it's like another planet uh, altogether. But uh, it was a, a, an amazing experience. I met a bunch of people that'll be friends of mine forever. 
Um, but it, it is, it's, it's just the cultural differences was a lot. Um, but again, they were very, very nice and very welcoming for us to try and grow the game with the youth and the kids loved it. The kids really enjoyed it. And yeah, it was an awesome experience from my end for sure. Did it seem like you guys were trying to build it from the ground up or was there kind of like a slight, you know, small base for hockey in China? Because, you know, for the longest time, once again, you know, typically even with Las Vegas, we look at, oh, China, that's not a hockey country. That's, you know, they have, you know, great Olympic teams, they have good soccer teams, basketball teams, but hockey, mm. that can never be a thing there. Was that kind well, of like that's the thing? Yeah, yeah. It, it was, was just like uh, it wasn't. It, hockey is like a cultural sport. Like in Canada, it's it's engraved in our blood. You know, we love hockey there, and in, in Russia, and when you come to China, they never really heard of it or played it. So it's not like they love it right away. They, it was it was definitely growing it from the bottom up with all the youth programs we started, in. and uh, it was a lot of work. It wasn't easy, that's for sure. But that uh, I think there is a there is the potential there. It's just going to take a, a long time for it to build. How? Well, obviously, because you're when you're coaching, you got to make sure you can communicate with your players or the kids you're teaching and whatnot. Was the language barrier a big issue at first? Because obviously, you know, you want to be able to communicate with these kids. And there's a lot of people that say English is now the universal language, but there's still some people out there that don't obviously know, especially in China. Mm-hmm. Was that a real big no, issue at start? It was at the beginning, but a lot of the kids are in a lot of international schools uh, that we worked with, and some of them, well, most of them could speak a little English, and it definitely helped us learn language, uh, Mandarin as well, speaking with them and teaching us words and things like that. So it was a lot of fun, um, but again, a lot of demonstrating, a lot of board talk and things like that, a lot of teaching, but it was always a different hurdles in different areas, but we, we always work together and make a, find a solution. So I'm pretty sure the people that are listening right now and watching are probably wondering right now, how many languages does Mitch O'Keefe know? You play in France, play in Austria, you went, to, you were in Slovenia, you were in Beijing. How many languages do you know, Mitch? Uh, just one. Just, one. <laughs> yeah, just some words and other ones. That's about it. From my experience being a goaltender, Mitch, I'm pretty sure if I asked you like this simple question, what language do you know? I know how to play goaltender. You don't need to know any language for that. Just stay in there and that's it. And sort of stop the puck. At least try to. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. So now we move towards your current situation. While you were in Beijing, you started actually coaching with Innsbruck in the Austrian league in the Ebel. You know what kind of you know an opportunity is that? Because now you know you're a goaltending coach. You're working with you know youth programs in China. Now you are helping coaching as a goaltending and assistant coach for a professional team in Europe. What kind of an opportunity was that like for you? At least at the start. Uh, for we first idea was just I wanted to take my family somewhere uh, for Christmas and get out of China. We wouldn't we didn't want to travel all the way back home. It's too much time with uh, my daughter. She was only two at the time, so we just wanted to go to Europe. and And I said, well, I might as well reach out to some of my contacts and see if they needed some help and uh, work a little on the side and continue to build that resume. and And uh, I. I uh, reached out to Rob Palin, my assistant coach in Vegas at the time, and I saw his team was struggling a little bit in Innsbruck, and he said he'd love for me to come and work with the goalies and help out. And, uh, yeah, one thing led to another. I've been here for three years now, and now I'm the head coach, and so far, so good. How did that kind of – I mean, obviously, you know, like you said, Innsbruck is a you know a rebuilding program out there in Austria – what was it like, though, to be tabbed as a head coach of a professional league? I mean, is, was that always your end goal? You wanted to be a head coach, or did it kind of just fall into your lap and say, all right, let's go with this? 
Uh, it's definitely my goal. Uh, but I didn't know when that goal would happen. It's, it's definitely, uh, coaching. You're always trying to get better. The game's always changing. I just didn't know when my opportunity would, would come forward. And, uh, this year, our, the head coach from last year took another job and they were interviewing other coaches during the pandemic. And, and then I just decided to throw my resume in there and they decided to go with me and, and, uh, yeah, you know, I'm very excited about this opportunity. We're only eight games into the season, but so far things have been going pretty well, and I hope to have a long career at this, to be honest. Yeah, I, I look back at last year's stats. You guys are already just about halfway to your win total from last season, so you guys are doing a great start for uh, compared <laughs> to last year, Mitch. But I, no, what what is the biggest difference? I mean, because everyone for the longest time, the, the old hat was, oh, European hockey is different because it's bigger ice surface. You know, obviously you have to change up your coaching strategy, but you yourself obviously have a lot on international ice. What do you think the biggest difference for a coach, not just a player, but a coach when you're coaching from, say, the North American side, you know, you're 200 by 85 feet, you're hard checking, hard for checking to going now to the European game where a little bit more room and a little bit different style of play? Mm -hmm. I think with North America, with the small ice, you can collapse and smother quick, uh, on any loose puck, you can make sure everyone just takes away time and space. But I find here you need to find on the bigger ice your, your trigger points. Like when you can't always chase, you got to wait, be a little more patient. The D zone when you can get to those pucks, 50-50 pucks, and then outnumber and, and collapse. But it's it's possession game. It's it's definitely you get to hold on to it more, a lot more passing, a lot more speed down the side walls and protecting the middle of the ice is a definite it's just hard to control all areas on the big ice with this much talent in this league. So you got to find your areas of where you want to be very good at it and then work from there. So, you know, you're a, you're a head coach in Austria. You've done a lot in Europe. You've, you know, you've been in China, you've been in, you co-helped out in Switzerland, you've been in France, Slovenia, all sorts of places around the Eastern part of the globe, at least the Eastern hemisphere, according to a map. What is the goals for Mitchell Keith moving forward? And because I just myself, you know, in my industry, I, you know, I love what I do now, but I always have an end goal. Like I never want to be complacent. Is there an, is there a goal, whether it be a pipe dream or an actual feasible goal for Mitch O'Keefe now in the sport of hockey? Oh, I always want to reach the highest level possible. That's, that's at any time playing or coaching, you always be at the best and, and learn from the best and compete with the best. And I would love to be in the NHL one day. And no matter how long that path might take, uh, you just got to continue to learn and work and create contacts and and just build from there. And it's like you said, you need to have a goal and something to work towards. And that's definitely mine. Yeah, because it's it'd be it's obviously awesome. And but you you've been able to do in your time because it's such a unique story. Obviously, starting in you know your base of Ontario and then going to NCAA Division One, started out in the the lower pro ranks here in North America, but then you go around. I mean, it's, it's an interesting story. That's why I really want to talk to you, Mitch, because you know, you, I mean, obviously I'm remembering you playing at Ferris and then, like I said, having a stint in Grand Rapids and playing around the area. That's why I remember you. I'm like, Oh, look what he's doing now. Cause you're, it's just so different because not every, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's a different path, but it's a very unique path, especially for someone like yourself who does want to move up and hopefully make the NHL. So hopefully I, you know, best wishes to you. Maybe I'll call it Bob Daniels. Say, <laughs> hey, you. is is Drew Mark uh, retiring anytime soon? You know, I, I know a guy over there in <laughs> Europe that'd love to come back here, Bob. But I'm Absolutely. gonna I'm gonna leave you with this here, Mitch. It's a quick trivia question, and I wonder if you'll know it. Ferris State has All never right. had a 
a player inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. But do you know which Ferris State player is actually has something that is in the Hall of Fame? Uh, Kunitz? No. I would have to say. No? Mitch, I this may be a... I don't know what you're going to call this or how you're going to react. Your goaltending mask from Ferris State is in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Did you oh, know really? that? <laughs> no, that's pretty cool. I, I remember I didn't know that. It was the last time the wife and I went to Toronto. Obviously, it was eons ago with this pandemic. But we I remember I was looking at them. I'm like, hey, that looks like a Ferris State logo. And I look and I'm like... Hey, that's Mitch O'Keefe's mask. Because I just I remembered I remember <laughs> looking at it because I obviously remember watching you play. And then I looked at the nameplate and I'm like, holy cow! I texted um, Harrison Watt, who's the play-by-play guy now. I've done a couple games with him the last couple of years, and I I texted him like, look at that, a fair State Bulldog in the Hall of Fame. Now, whether or not Chris Kunitz eventually <laughs> does go in, but look at that, oh, Mitch yeah, O'Keefe. Sure <laughs> Mitch O'Keefe is the first fair State player to at least have to be somewhat in the Hall of Fame. What what does it feel well, like, Mitch? <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty pretty cool actually to be honest i didn't know that i'll have to hopefully one day when i get back home go check it out but oh that's really neat thanks I'll, for sharing that i'll make sure i text uh or email matt martin he's one of the guys that works out there i'll make sure he keeps it around because sometimes they change him in and out make sure you keep that fair state one there until you <laughs> until kunitz gets inducted we need to have some representation of fair state in the hall, oh, that's hall good. of fame We've been chatting with Mitch, <laughs> nice. Mitch O'Keefe, the head coach of Innsbruck in Austria. Mitch, this has been a wonderful trip down memory lane, and great to see what you're doing out there, and best wishes to you, and hopefully you keep progressing there in your coaching career. Well, thank you very much, and all the best to you as well. All right, we'll take a quick break here, folks, when we come back, more of the Kewl Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. And thank you once again to Mitch O'Keefe. That was a fun interview for, for a guy like me, like I said, a guy that watched Mitch kind of growing up a little bit, seeing, kind of following his career at Ferris State, then getting to see him in Grand Rapids was pretty cool because he saw his old Ferris State gear on. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then looking at his, like, because I do elite prospects and all that research, and I looked at them like, man, this guy's done a lot. He went overseas, like a lot of college goaltenders. I remember Brian Hogan, who was a great goaltender from Michigan. He went and go played. He played over in Germany. I think he made it up to the Dell at one point. And just kind of seeing the different paths guys take and, the fact that he actually has something in the Hall of Fame. I remember saying that. I'm like, if I can ever get him on my show, that would be cool because that's that's something unique. I mean, you go into the Hall of Fame, there's all the goaltending masks, and all of a sudden look, I'm like, that's, a, that's the Ferris State Bulldog because it was a very simple-looking mask. I should have tried to upload it here for you guys to see. But unfortunately, once again, Lazy Tyler here. But it was such a unique little story, and I remember as soon as I saw that, and I'm like, oh, man, that's that's pretty cool. So, yes, folks, the Ferris State Bulldogs, they may not have had an influx of NHLers through the years. I mean, yes, Jeff Blashill made it to the NHL as a head coach, and, of course, Chris Kunitz, Johnny Gruden is another guy. There's a couple other guys that made it to the NHL. Um, oh, crud. Uh, Rob Collins had a stint. Oh, no. No, who's the guy that played in Colorado? Oh, this is hurting my brain. Zach Redmond. Zach Redman, I believe, was the guy that played for Colorado. They went to Ferris State. Uh, finally, I was looking things up here about Innsbruck. They did play one game. They lost yesterday to ECKAC, so they played nine games now. But also, former Griffin Thomas McCullum is on that team, one of the goaltenders for Mitch O'Keefe. So a pretty unique story here. Uh, quickly, before we go to break here, we got Peyton Turns here coming up in just a couple minutes on the other side of the break. Let's quick run through the, I guess, the Ivy League story here. Obviously, we're sticking with college hockey over the first hour here of the Kula Show. Well, first hour and change. I'm talking Peyton Turns a lot about Alabama Huntsville on the other side of the break. 
the Ivy League has said that they're not going to have winter sports. And the difference here, because remember last week we talked about how the Liberty League, the Division Three Conference, is not allowing their teams to have winter sports. However, they're allowing other schools to play, like RPI, St. Lawrence, Union, and I believe Clarkson was the other one. No, yes, Clarkson was the other school in that Division Three Conference that are NCAA Division One teams. They're letting them all play. The Ivy League is not letting any of the schools that are associated with it that have Division One hockey programs, they're not allowing them to play, which includes Brown, Dartmouth, Har- remember Dartmouth, they love this show, Harvard, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, and Cornell. The last year, the team that ended the regular season as the number one team in the country that had a lot of really good returning players this year. A team that probably could have competed for the top spot once again. A team that was last year favored heading in towards the national tournament to possibly win the whole darn thing, or at least make it to the Frozen Four. They are not allowed to play this year. And right now, with the season starting up, it's too late for these guys to go play. So there's a lot of questions for a lot of these top guys, especially guys like Yale. I know they had a solid team. They weren't going to be a dominant team coming out of the ECAC, but they were going to be competitive for sure. But the big one there, obviously, is Cornell. Losing Matthew Galahada was a great goaltender last year. He could have done something, but now that the team's not even allowed to play this year, real bummer here for the for the NCAA ranks, which leads only six teams in the ECAC: Clarkson, Colgate, Quinnipiac, RPI, St. Lawrence, and Union. Those six are going to play, and the ECAC was looking something similar as Atlantic Hockey was going to do, and the NCHC was going to do. They were going to split the league in half, have half play here, half play there and go with it. There may be some interdivisional games, but not that many. Now they only have six games, which when I wrote my recent, well, one of my recent pieces for the hockey writers talking about this, there is a possibility for having teams in this conference. Now you don't have to travel. You don't have to travel as much. And the fact they're going to start late, they may only play 20 games. They may not be able to play each other five or six times this year. They may only be able to play four games against each other because now you're looking at, especially with all these COVID cases rising, they may not be able to play until second semester. So unless you're going to play games throughout the week, you may be only looking at a 20-game schedule for each of these teams. So we're going to definitely keep our tabs on that because with NHL not playing for a while, we're going to have extensive college hockey coverage here. Maybe not totally extensive. We'll keep updating you folks on it because I love college hockey and also I write about it. So why not just give you a little bit of my knowledge and information? We're going to take a quick break here, folks. When we come back, we are going to be talking with Peyton Turnage, Alabama Huntsville's play-by-play guy making his fifth appearance here on the Kula Show. We'll talk to him all sorts about the not just the Chargers team coming up this year, but also the future of the program. Well, all that and more here on the Kula Show here on 12 Out Sports. We'll be back right after this. And welcome back to the Kuehl Show, everyone, here on 12-Ounce Sports, our number two of this two-and-a-half-hour program. Thank you all for tuning in once again. As always, we got more college hockey talk coming up here. We're going to start off with talking about Alabama Huntsville. Now, we this is a program we talked about quite a bit here on the Kuehl Show. They've had an interesting recent, uh, recent news coming up here. 
they obviously they were a team that was on the chopping block. Now they're looking at a possibility of being around for a long time between donors and the ad- hockey advisory board. They were able to raise over almost seven, actually at $17 million to be used over the next decade to help fund the program, which is great. And obviously there's more things that are involved in that hockey advisory board, but we need some help with that. We need some help to kind of distinguish what's all going down there in the South of Southern collegiate hockey. So with that, we're going to bring in our first guest today. He is a member of penalty box radio, becoming the third member of the elite five timers club here on the cool show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Peyton turnage. Oh, I can't believe it's already my fifth time, but, it's, it feels just like the first. It's just as good as the first. Well, I will say this. Having you on throughout the playoffs and being our every other round guy, it really ramped up your numbers pretty quickly, that's for sure. I would say so, too. Yeah. Even though the uh, Predators didn't ramp up their numbers. so. Hey, you know what? Pete Weber was a great interview. We didn't care how the, pan- the Predators did. He was, he was a fun guy to talk to, even though he was, he was, he was probably a little more he was hopeful that they were going to play a little bit longer. But then again, I'm pretty sure he wanted to work a little bit longer. But so Peyton, the last time, by the way, I forgot to mention play by play for Alabama Huntsville, Peyton Turnage over here. I think I forgot to say that off the top, but the first time we had you on Peyton, which seemed like a year and a half ago, but it really wasn't. It was a few months ago. <laughs> we talked about how Alabama Huntsville's program was saved. The, there was this massive fundraiser, the GoFundMe, and you had a couple guys, uh, you know, Sofkaitis, and who's the, oh gosh, Peyton, who's Sheldon the, uh, Walitsky. thank you, Walitsky, uh, Sofkaitis and Walitsky, they all chipped in a bunch of money, because apparently they're big wigs <laughs> up near Detroit, but they pitched in a bunch of money, saved the program for at least one year, and the Hockey Advisory Board was created, and now Peyton, the recent news that there has been $17 million raised to help push the program moving forward to the next decade just to help fund the team now for at least another 10 years. At least that's what I'm hearing, Peyton. How is that? I, I don't want to say just a good thing, but an absolutely like inspiring thing now to know that the chargers are not just going to be, Oh, let's hope we can go from year to year. Now we know the chargers are going to be around here for the foreseeable future. Well, you know, when you look at guys like Sheldon Walitsky, Tossin, Sifakutis, again, from day one, um, after the news broke down, they really wanted to get involved and really turn this around. Like, they, were, they weren't going to take no for an answer. But I think even, you know, looking at the $17 million over 10 years, I mean, that's still, that's pretty surprising that they were able to come up with that in such a short amount of time. But, of course, I credit them and, and some other UAH donors who really just don't want to see this program go away, and thankfully it's not going away anytime soon. I, I just, it's, it's great news because we just thought, Hey, you know, it's going to be a while. They'll probably try to figure out what's going to happen with the pandemic. Nope. They're getting right down to business. This is a program that wants to be around. And we, that's one thing we also talked about that there is a, despite, like I said, despite the, at, for a while, it's what seemed like lack of interest. There is a lot of interest for this UAH program. There's a lot of people, the you know, people that go to games that have been there for you know, 20 years that have been there since the 96 and 98 division two champions. There's a lot of people that want to see this program thrive, right? I would say so too. You do have a, it locally a lot more enthusiasm for Huntsville havoc, but this is becoming a hockey town. And I think you don't have the havoc or, or everything else, you know, uh, that's provided for hockey. If you don't have the UAH chargers, I think that is for sure the lifeblood of hockey in this area. And it helps too, to have, Nashville right down the road as well as sort of a, uh, 
you know, a support piece for all this as well. And it's, it's just, I, I remember when I first heard the story, I'm like, this is, this is real, like $17 million. And because the one big thing, because we'll get a little bit to the schedule for the Chargers coming up this season. The biggest thing for UAH, especially being the WCHA right now and having to go to back when they used to go to Alaska all the time, was the travel budget. The $17 million, it's more or less for the day-to-day operation of this team. A lot of that's going to go to being able to get the Chargers to go up into Minnesota and out west and up here into Michigan because, let's be honest, when you have to go from the southern part of the United States up until all the way to the north and even, like I said, up to Alaska, that does kind of add up after you know playing a 30-35 game season. Absolutely. It's pretty bad when you're closest opponent is Bowling Green, Ohio, and I think that's at least a six-hour drive. So, uh, you know, that's something that they've had to prepare for for a long time, but it doesn't matter who they play, what conference they're in, the travel budget is always going to be um, a huge part of everything. And the heart goes out to those Alaska schools because I don't know how they do it. That's just insane when you go and put the math together. And that's that's the worst part, too, because the recent news that Alaska Anchorage is cutting all programs this year. Fairbanks, it sounds like they're still going to play, but Alaska Anchorage, because this was going to be their last hurrah as well, because they were going to say that they were already cutting the program after this season. And yeah, Anchorage has only had maybe a handful. I don't want to say they're in the same boat as Alabama Huntsville, because Huntsville's been, I think they've been to the tournament more times than Anchorage has. But that's been a team that's been competitive every so often, but you know, with, you know, having to try to recruit players and move up into Alaska, it's kind of tough for, for teams to get players to go up there. And that's, I guess, why what ended up being kind of the downfall of the program. I'd say so too. And, and, um, you know, Fairbanks too, it's not all, uh, roses for them too. They're struggling to, to stay afloat, but, um, it, it's been increasingly difficult to have two, you know, University of Alaska hockey programs in division one. And, and now we're starting to see the ugly end of it. And Alaska Anchorage kind of has a special place in my heart, too, because the first UH games I called were against Alaska Anchorage. So it's it's sad to see them go. I was hoping we get to see them one more time. And uh, unfortunately, that's that's not the case. And now the Chargers home schedule as a result of that has gone down from nine games to seven games. Jason, well, as far are you, and that's, I mean, we'll kind of get, like I said, more of the current season. Are you allowed, are you going to be allowed to travel with the team this season or are they, are they kind of holding you back? Because when I talked with Harrison Watt, he said that he was going to be at this time, at least. And of course this was before the state, half the state was going to get shut down, but he said that he was going to be allowed to travel with the team. Is that the same case down with you with there at the chargers? Well, I wouldn't have traveled with them normally. I'm usually just here for the home games. Uh, we don't really have, I guess to say we don't, have the budget for that but it wouldn't work out for me personally anyway with my job and such right but, uh, i think um let's say that was different i think we would be allowed to travel and, and maybe it would just depend on uh each individual school that we would be traveling to whether or not i could go but right uh, but yeah uh full steam ahead for the home portion at least thankfully yeah, and that's actually funny. The first home game for the Chargers as of right now is against Ferris State, and that's not until January. So you're almost like in the same boat I'm at. We're not going to be calling games until, you know, well, pardon me. For us up in here in Michigan, 10 feet of snow. For you there in Huntsville, Tuesday, <laughs> or a normal day for you guys down there because what, what what's the coldest it gets up in the in the wintertime there? What's it, maybe 60 down there? Well, see, the closest I've lived here, I just – Moved here last week, by the way, but uh, the closest I've lived to here is Nashville. And, I mean, it can get down um, 
into the twenties. Uh, just depends on, <laughs> you know, kind of depends on the weather patterns, but, uh, I've even seen it get down to, uh, six degrees one time with that, uh, that was a pretty rare phenomenon, but since moving here, I've noticed it's been, uh, been about the mid seventies, low sixties. So it's, uh, yeah, here we are in the middle of November and we're still, we still got, uh, early fall weather. Yeah. We started off the show with my wife banging on the window as she was leaving. It's like, it's snowing. And I'm like, yep, that's, it's the beginning of that because we're probably gonna have a foot in the snow next week. And then it's going to do the thing where it just melts in December. Then it gets just snows, 20 feet of snow and new year's day. And that's just how it works here in Michigan. Cause we don't have kids. That's a good recruiting tool, isn't it? That, you know, anybody that comes down here doesn't normally have to deal with that. Right. And that's with Arizona state, even though this past weekend was not so good for the sun devils, but you know, Hey, everything, you know, with Rome wasn't built in a day as we've learned in the past. So let's go back to, the, the 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 this massive rise of money for the program Peyton the hockey advisory board obviously there's it's filled with people that want this program to thrive want this program to succeed both on the ice and you know I mean obviously not this year with the with the pandemic and everything but at the box office getting people attracted to coming to watch the Chargers how in your eyes just over the few months that it's been in existence. Has, how do you think the program, this hockey board advisory board, has done in this time, both raising money and kind of trying to get the Chargers back on the map? I was going to say, uh, you know, when you look at the most recent news, I'd say they've done a pretty good job, to, to say the least. But you look at the the main members. You got the the vice uh, the vice president of communications for the Tampa Bay Lightning, Bill Wicket. You got Flyers assistant general manager uh, Brent Flar, but then you have the CEO of the Nashville Predators, Sean Henry. And that man has done so much significant work in getting the Predators on the map. And and not just on the map, but, you know, they were everywhere, especially in that 2017 Stanley Cup Finals. I think even if you weren't a, a fan of hockey or didn't care about the Preds, you knew about the Nashville Predators and what was all going on down there. So to have him a part of this and, and right up the road from us is, has been a huge help. Um, of course, you've got Cam Talbot as well, who's that NHL presence, showing that, hey, this program helped me become who I am today. You know, it can happen for anyone else, too. So to have him a part of this as well and, and very outspoken has just been absolutely huge. And hopefully that will translate in, in fans turning out. Uh, We've, we've needed more fans in the seats and, and hopefully, uh, you know, obviously with the pandemic, there's going to be limited capacity at the Von Braun Center. So hopefully people get turned away at the door because <laughs> there's uh, too many trying to get in. But, uh, I, you know, slowly but surely, like you said, Rome wasn't built in a day, but uh, this program is, is slowly, um, you know, climbing up again. Because back in its infancy, back when it was just a club team, they were, they would consistently fill the building with over 7,000 people. So, um, it's just a matter of getting it back to the glory days again. And that was back, if I'm not mistaken, even before there was teams in Florida in the NHL, they're like college, like any form of hockey down there was, you know, some low level minor league hockey that, Oh, may have gotten a few people, but it wasn't that big. Huntsville seemed all of a sudden people rallied around it because, Hey, you know, football season's done, and we suck at basketball down here. Let's try this hockey thing. Let's go watch these hockey guys a little bit. <laughs> I mean, see some uh, people punch each other around. Back, yeah, back in those days, yeah. Place. You go to you go to watch the fights, and a hockey game breaks out there at the Huntsville Chargers games. But let's 
let's kind of now look at now the the couple things that came out with the release and the news of the donations and the the money is the fact that there's now a plan not necessarily you know set in stone or a big blueprint but there's a goal that this hockey advisory board is pushing for and you talk about the von braun center and we've kind of we've joked about it before and you gained some popularity because you bashed the glass during a a game of uh, this past season but Let's talk about the fact that there is an idea and a possible new facility on campus for UAH and a multi-purpose facility that would include a rink for the Chargers. Now, yes, we don't. There's no timetable. There's no like I said. There's no blueprint. There's really no other. I mean, there's an idea, yes, but there's no word from the university that it's going to happen. This is kind of just an idea flowing out there, but that's the goal. How important do you think it would be, once again, as a recruiting tactic, to have a rink on campus? Because right now, with the Von Braun Center, it's close to UAH, but it's not on the campus. How important do you think it would be to have a rink on Alabama Huntsville's campus for recruiting and for the players themselves? I think it would be terrific to just to bring that, that barn, that college hockey atmosphere, which you really don't get at the Von Braun Center. It's more of the a big professional arena. It's great for Havoc games, but for, for Chargers games, again, you just don't quite get that college hockey feel that you would. It may be a slightly smaller building, lower ceiling, and, and packed to the brim with, with fans. And I, I think it would be huge, as you say, having it on campus. That would make it so much easier for students to come down and and watch the game. I mean, what else are they going to do on a, on a Saturday night, you know? Um, so that would be absolutely ginormous. And Thankfully, you know, with was going to backtrack here. Before the pandemic, there were whispers of this plan coming together, and it seemed it was going to be pretty imminent. And then the pandemic kind of uh, squashed things. But it's very welcome news knowing that this was a, a possibility yet again. And it's going to take more than just the, the hockey board. Um, you know, the basketball team is going to be very involved in this. Uh, it would just be a huge thing for campus in general, for for sporting events and for concerts. Yeah, because, I mean, similar to what they have up at Fair State, Ava Glaison, Ava Glaison, Ava Glaison Ice Arena is connected to Wink Arena, which is the basketball and volleyball ball court up there in Big Rapids. So that'd be, I don't want to say the exact blueprint, because Ava Glaison, considered by new NCAA standards, is outdated. But having the idea of having your basketball court and your hockey rink, maybe even a, you know, a weightlifting center in one building on campus would be great, not just like now for hockey. Now you're talking about other sports involved as well, and you would think, you know, even though it is a Division II school, which I guess, I mean, Ferris State is, you would think that's something the athletic board and the school board want to get behind to really kind of bolster up their image as having new state-of-the-art facilities for not just, you know, their Division I program, but their D2 programs as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, I think no matter what, and even if you watch a UAH basketball game, it's pretty obvious that, they need an update in that regard. So I think it just, it would be a plan that would benefit everyone all around. It's sort of a, a no lose scenario, just as long as you have the funding for it. Yeah. And I, I, there obviously money is involved. Money is a real, a real big, important factor of the whole deal. As I quickly run over to Cam Talbot's uh, cat friendly, he's making $3.66667 million. Uh, Peyton, you and I have to go talk to him, see if he can donate half of that. Uh, at least for the next couple of years, just so maybe they can get that facility up and running, maybe, or at least an idea 
Because Tal- Talbot's made enough money over the years, right? He doesn't need any more of that, right? Oh, yeah. He could retire today, no problem. I'm pretty sure a lot of players that play in the NHL could retire today if, if they held on, if they saved their money. I'm pretty sure I could live off $4 million for quite a few years, I would I would like to think. I don't know about some other people, but well, probably, no, that's true. I'd probably end up going playing golf too much, and I would just wither it away, you know, so maybe not. But regardless, going back to Huntsville here, hence the reason why we have you on today, Peyton. The other topic that came through, and this is something Talbot actually mentioned too in an article talking with NBC Sports, he mentioned the need for a conference, a permanent conference home, because next season, this is the last year of the WCHA. As of right now, Huntsville doesn't have a conference next season. I've heard, you know, from talking to multiple people around the game, the CCHA is pretty calm with having eight teams with St. Thomas joining at the beginning of next season. Atlantic hockey is starting to build up with having Long Island added there. Do you think there is, I mean, what do you think is a good fit? Is there a league right now that you think Alabama Huntsville could kind of just join and kind of fit in there? Or is there, you know, kind of right now at a loss for the situation for the Chargers in terms of finding a conference home? From what I've heard, I mean, those seem to be the only two names that come up are the CCHA and, and the Atlantic Conference. And no matter what, this team cannot afford, I don't care how much money they've raised, they can't afford to play as an independent. Uh, so they've they've really got to find a new home. CCHA would be, I think, a fit is, you know, there's just familiarity with, with all the teams up there. And you talk to some of the players that play for those schools, up in the north, they, they actually do enjoy coming down and making the trip to Alabama. And we talked about how some of these guys get a break from winter. That's part of it. And there's a lot to enjoy coming down to Huntsville. So I would hope that the CCHA would would stop being so you know so stubborn uh, when it comes to allowing Alabama Huntsville back into the fold. They prove that they can raise the funds and that they're going to be there on the competition side. So hopefully that starts to soften up quite a bit. You know, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. No, you can finish finish your thought there because I had something I was going to go off on there. Well, and then you look at the Atlantic, and they've already got, uh, I believe, uh, you know, ten or eleven teams, if I'm not mistaken, and they have um, they have traveled to Air Force, so that's in Colorado, so that's already out of the way. It's sort of like the Alaska effect. So you're already having to travel out west. You know, what's another stop in Huntsville? So we'll see how that develops. Yeah, and that, that's an interesting story because Long Island University, a first-year program, they're getting added to the Atlantic hockey schedule. It's not going to affect the conference standings, but they're getting added to that conference just for them to get a good number of games. There was whispers that Navy was going to be that 12th team. They're actually supposed to make an announcement this year because then you'd have all the military academies in that conference. And Illinois is another team is going to get added, but they're going to get added to the Big Ten. But I wonder, Peyton, this is something I've kind of looked at as well, because probably the in terms of outside of the WCHA, because they have the Alaska teams, but probably the team that has the largest footprint in the United States is the National Collegiate Hockey Conference, the NCHC. They have teams all the way from Colorado, you know, Colorado College, your Denver's. Then you go up to Minnesota, then you go down to Omaha, which is where they're going to have their bubble. But then you come all the way over east where you have Western, you have Miami. And I wonder, because one of the biggest independent teams still out there, uh, one of the two, is Arizona State. And because right now they have an even eight teams, but what if the NCHC thought, hey, let's add a couple more, add a couple more games, because Arizona State's right there, right near Colorado. You could insert them, and obviously Alabama Huntsville could go in the east, and you could split the conference. You could have 
five in the East, five in the West, and then you can play, you know, some interconference, interdivisional games, but then you stick to one side and stick to regional games, less travel for those teams. And all of a sudden you have one of the bigger conferences and you add a team like Arizona state, who seems to be in the top 20 every year now and Alabama Huntsville, a program that's trying to get back up on their feet again. That could be a very competitive conference. If obviously if ifs and buts were Kane, that's what all the Merry Christmas, but would you think that would be not a bad idea to insert the chargers into that conference and really make the NCHC, the national collegiate hockey conference, really national based on their widespread footprint. They, I think that would make a lot of sense from a logistics standpoint. I do kind of quake with fear knowing that you know, they could be in the same conference as teams like Denver, Minnesota, Duluth, North Dakota, St. Cloud. <laughs> they would uh, definitely be forced to ramp things up on the competition side. But to your point, it would make a lot of sense logistically. So it's good that the options are out there, but obviously something's going to have to happen soon. Yeah. And the, the problem is, though, of course, the fact that you could say, oh, what about the ECAC? Well, the Ivy League gets in the way of that, is what I've, is from what I've heard. So obviously there's a lot to learn, a lot to worry about. And obviously that's not until next season. So right now the hockey advisory board and the hockey staff, they can worry about that throughout this season, throughout the summer. And because, you know, fingers crossed, there is a normal start date next season because at this point, who the heck knows? But, there, you know, and I would say this, Peyton, obviously the goal is to get a conference. But I don't think it'd be bad to operate one year as an independent team with the money that's been raised. If this has been, you know, hey, we got you guys for next year. We'll see where it goes. And no money was raised. I would be, yes, a little concerned. But I think with the money involved, the money that's been risen for for the foreseeable future, I I would like to think that Alabama Huntsville could go one year as an independent, schedule some games with all the conferences, and then the conferences around can say, hey, Huntsville, we played them last week. You know, you say you play Omaha. Yeah, that team wasn't too bad. Maybe they could come here. You go up to Atlantic Hockey, play a school like either Long Island or RIT, or maybe not this year RIT, but you'd be like, hey, you know, that was a good team. We could probably welcome them in, welcome Navy in. Boom, we have a 14-team conference, one of the biggest conferences in the country. So I would, I don't know about you, Peyton, but I think the Chargers could go one year as an independent to see where they could possibly fit in. What I need is for our dear friend Harrison Watt to go to the folks of the CCHA to talk them and to let UAH come back so we can work together more. But that's just me. Oh, let me call up Don Lucia. Hey, Don. Yeah, Don. Yeah. Hey, uh, I know you don't like talking to media, but I got a request here. Uh, UAH, you got room for them? Oh, no? Well, add out Arizona State and then do it. No. Apparently, according to what I've been told, Don Lucia is a very friendly guy, except to people like us, Peyton, people in the media. Apparently, he's great to you know talk to people in the hockey community, but if you say that you work for a, an organization, like a media organization, apparently, it's very skeptical. So I don't think I can make any demands at this moment. I have to meet, I apparently have to meet the guy first, according to my sources. So apparently, he's a nice guy. But then again, he's a national championship winning coach, so he doesn't have to take flack from anybody, from, like I said, what I've been told. So now... We talked about what the future could hold for the Chargers. Let's talk about this season. Now, yes, last season, Peyton, not the best year. Only two wins. You were, hey, you got to call both of them, I'm not mistaken, right? That's right. Yes. Big wins. Somehow, you went 0-2-2 against Alaska Anchorage, though, but Anchorage was able to pull out a couple of good games against some other good teams as well. But this year, a lot of changes. 
We talk about the we're going to talk about the offense that lost all almost all their top scorers, new coach, new goaltending, younger defense. This is a very different team from what we saw last year, and it does start with the man behind the bench, Mike Corbet. He's now an assistant over at Robert Morris. Obviously, he left shortly after the program was announced that it wasn't going to come back, but then it did. Now behind the bench, they have a guy, a guy that's been there for a couple of years. They have Lance West behind the bench now. From what you've seen in your time with UAH, why does it seem like Lance West is the best fit to be the coach right now? He has, uh, he's got the, I guess to say the pedigree, he's really been with the program for quite a long time as a player and as a coach. So he's been through lots of different eras of the Chargers. So he, he can kind of look at the team that's in front of him and know what he's got. Obviously, he's, and I think his coaching staff fits this. This is a team that's really going to have to be that tough to play against style, uh, very defensive minded, blocking a lot of shots. Because um, the skill, they just don't have the skill or the forward power to make up for it. So you bring in Lance West, and then you've got Carlos Sirinus, another UAH alum who wins just about everywhere he goes. Um, most recently, uh, with Alaska Fairbanks helping their program turn around, and he also won uh, the NAHL championship in Shreveport. So those are two guys right there that I think are an instant improvement over the coaching staff that we had over the last handful of seasons. And then you've got Carmine Guerrero, uh, who's a former UAH goaltender. He set the record for uh, saves in a WCHA game with 76. So to have him come in and coach the young goaltending and to be there also on the bench is, is huge. So uh, I think, like I said, there's, there's definitely an upgrade with this team. And now it's just a matter of uh, finding their identity of who they are and, and, and being that tough team to play against. And cause they're gonna have to figure out offense is a little bit different last year. Their top seven scorers are all gone no longer with the chargers obviously a lot of them kind of i think believe a couple of them did a couple of them transfer peyton i'm not i'm pretty sure a couple of them left almost right away if i'm not mistaken am i wrong there uh, a few come to mind uh jack jeffers josh latta and daniel latta again okay yeah uh, latta being the, the top producer and someone that the charger program could have really used as a building block for future seasons so it's tough to see him go he's a really good character person as well but it's just a matter of, uh, you know, frankly, though, a lot of those people that transferred were freshmen. So it's like, okay, hopefully we can just bring in another good freshman class to, to build off of. Right. And the two, the two of the top, the two of the guys that led or these or the returners that had the most points last year, Tier Thompson and Connor Merkley, those are the two guys each had eight points last year. From what you've seen on the roster, from the incoming talent, from the returning talent, where do you think the offense is going to come from this year for the Chargers? It's tough to tell. I mean, I look at some of these names, and there are guys that produced in the past. And then obviously, you kind of have to look at uh, elite prospects and some of these other guys that have come in. Oh, yeah. Uh, you mentioned Tier Thompson. He's a really good net front power play guy. I think he's really found his fit there, and I think that could be huge. Kind of be the, the Patrick Hornquist type on the on the power play. Connor Merkley's more of a support piece. Uh, he, he's kind of in the more of a third line type guy. Uh, he's going into the senior season. I think he could, you know, he's got a little bit more to give on the work ethic side of things. Um, I think it's just a matter of him finding himself as a player in his final year. Uh, there's a guy, Peyton Francis, who was a freshman last year, moved up and down the lineup, showed a lot of speed, a lot of skill. And he's already had conversations with Lance West about how he can improve his offensive game. Um, 
looking up and down again. Adrian Danchenko, he's a great two-way, sizable player that can bang up and down the ice and create chances. And then you look at Bauer Neudecker. Neudecker coming off of really just a textbook sophomore slump. He had, I think, seven goals in his freshman year, if I'm not mistaken, and then just a flat zero last year. Small player, but he has a lot of skill, great on the power play, and I think he's going to want to come out with a vengeance. And I know we're going to get to it a little bit too, but the defense, I think there's going to be a lot of offense coming from the defense. Um, with guys like Lucas Bond, Drew Lennon, and, and the new guy, Iowa Denna, yeah. Yeah, and well, I was, guys, I was quickly tallying up there. Half of the team is a freshman. There's 13 freshmen on the, the count of a 26-man roster. So very young team. And one of the freshmen, if we talk about the defense, Ayodole, pardon me, Ayodole Adiene. Oh, gosh, I said that wrong, didn't I? I don't know how to say his full first name. Um, so he just goes by Ayo, but I believe his last name is Adeneye. Adeneye. Ayo Adeneye from Columbus, Ohio. Six foot five, 195. Boy, do I hope he's because he's right-handed shot. Played for Carlton Place, CCHL, which is a tough league to play in, from what I've been told. He'll be hopefully on the pairing of six foot seven, two hundred pounds, left-handed Jay Powell from Smashville, Tennessee. I, you know, they're like you said, this team wants to find out their identity. If that pair can just impose their will upon opposing forwards, that could be a terrifying duo, if you ask me. The two titans of terror on the Alabama Huntsville Blue Line. It definitely could. Jay Powell, uh, if he wants to do that, he's definitely got his work cut out for him. That's a guy that he's actually a pretty good story. He came up from the from the club team a couple of years ago. Uh, he hasn't cracked the lineup yet as the as the varsity player. So, uh, you know, maybe there's something lacking on the skating side of things, but hopefully he can be a regular part of the lineup um, next season. But Io, you know what you're getting with him. Sizable guy, he's got a lot of skill, and you know, being a Columbus guy, of course, he, he models his game after Seth Jones, which I think uh, UAH could definitely use a right-handed defender like that. And as I look up and down the defense, I look at a guy too, like Brian Scoville. Maybe he can bring some heat to this defense. Yeah, there's a you because you always want, especially in today's game, you need the defense to really kind of step up nowadays because. You need, I mean, your offense is great, but as you've seen, not just the NHL, but even the collegiate level, guys that can rush the puck up the ice. I mean, we see a guy like Jamie Drysdale get drafted high from the OHL. He's a big offensive presence as a defenseman. So you need a lot of that in today's game. Now let's get to the goaltending because Mark Sinclair, who he didn't have the most shots against him last year, but from the games I watched, it just seemed like he was always, always there, always mentioned in the play every 20 seconds because he was getting a lot of shots. Jeremy Swayman had more for Maine, but then again, he played in, I believe, all the games for the University of Maine, hence why he was the Mike Richter Award last year. Sinclair finished the year seventh in saves in the country, fourth in shots faced. However, no longer with the team. So now you have three goaltenders. You have a couple that were on the team roster last year, but only one of them played. That was David Fessenden. George McBay comes back. He didn't play at all last year, but then you have a freshman coming out of the BCHL from Powell, Derek Crawl, Peyton, from what you see, obviously, like I said, Fessenden is the, I guess, the more veteran goaltender given the fact that he actually played last season. Who do you think has a good shot at starting night one for Alabama Huntsville? And is that a guy they're going to move forward with? Or are you going to see all three this year? What do you think the Chargers are going to do in net? I think you'll see the incumbent goaltender come in and, and, 
and be the regular starter, David Fessenden. He stands at six foot six. Uh, he was highly touted coming into the, the program. He had a 915 save percentage his last year in junior. And, I mean, when you're playing behind Mark Sinclair, it can be hard to, to crack the lineup. Um, played parts of seven games, only had four starts, unfortunately lost all of them because I mean, Chargers only won two games. But I think that's a guy that's still uh, growing as a goaltender. And when you've already got that size in net, uh, that can be pretty tough to contend with. So I would think Fessenden gets the starting job. And I don't know a whole lot about George McVay, but I've heard nothing but good things about Derek Crawl. Uh, he had a 917 save percentage last year in junior. Quite a bit smaller goalie at six foot oh, but I think he would be uh, slotted in as the backup. But again, as you say, we very well see a mix of all three. It just kind of depends on how things go. And I think the first few weeks are going to be, you know, the the roadmap, the indicator of, of where this team decides to go in, in net. I will say this, the BCHL, I've had this conversation with Harrison before. I personally think, and I, I do love the USHL that we have here in the U.S. It's a really good tier one junior A-League, a great feeder to college ranks. But, man, I would love to see a best on best, the Clark Cup champions versus the BCHL champions. Because the BCHL, in my eyes, outside of major junior in Canada, may be one of the best junior leagues in North America of producing college talent, guys that, I mean, shoot, they're guys that get drafted out of that league in the NHL. I mean, I think that's a real good feeder league. And the guy that, and like you talk about Crawl, a guy that was able to put up good numbers in the BC and is able to come down. Because I know guys that have gone from the BC to Michigan State to even Ferris State, Michigan. That's a real big feeder league for the NCAA ranks. So UAH is definitely getting a talented goaltender for sure. I wonder, Peyton, because I'm looking at the schedule right now for Alabama-Huntsville. It's such a unique schedule because they start up this weekend. They travel up and play Robert Morris, ironically, against former coach Mike Corbet, play a pair of games there. They get off then for the Thanksgiving break, and then they come up for a, a pretty big, I guess, a, couple, a big three-game weekend. Well, I guess weekend, a very extended weekend. Play Ferris, Lake State, and then Lake State again on the 6th and 7th of December. But then they don't play again till January. Now, this obviously, does this have, and was Anchorage in the middle of that? I forgot if they were. I think they were. I could be wrong, but I do believe uh, a road trip to Anchorage. Well, actually, you know what? As I'm looking up and down, let's see. Well, let's, they still have the home games on the schedule, which they need to scrap. But I think there might have been, as you say, a, a road trip to, to Anchorage in there. Because that's almost a month off. Obviously, you get obviously Thanksgiving break. I get that. You got to take that off, even though even though our governor up here is telling not people not to go to people's houses for Thanksgiving. Obviously, you want to be as safe as possible. But you're going a month off between Lake State and Michigan Tech. That's a real tough, you know, kind of long layoff there because obviously you have a good couple weeks off for Christmas, anyways. But then you have to go right back into action against a Michigan Tech team that. I'll be honest, Peyton, they're looking pretty tough once again. They still have a real good goaltending core despite having Robbie Baidoon actually leave. So I, I wonder how this team is going to kind of just regroup because at that point, once you get into January, it's full steam ahead for the Chargers. Well, you mentioned Michigan Tech's goaltending, and that's where uh, Mark Sinclair went. So uh, lots of familiarity there. The schedule was already kind of slim to begin with. When you take off the, the games against Alaska Anchorage, it's down to 21 games. I guess it's just the COVID world we live in now, but that is, as you say, it's going to take a lot of adjusting going from 
late to Michigan Tech. And it's just going to be a matter of, you know, staying regular in practice and skating as often as you can, keeping the legs warmed up so that, uh, you know, you don't uh, you don't have any atrophy, so to speak. Yeah, and it's because, I mean, I coming from a guy that broadcasts ACHA games or some teams have 30 games, some teams have 20. I remember one year there was a team that played right before Thanksgiving, ironically against Ferris State's club team. They didn't play until January the 15th. And I'm like, well, that's a layoff if I've ever seen one in my life. And they came back, ironically, pretty uh, pretty out of shape. Who would have thought? But let's see. Obviously, Alabama Hunts was probably a little more strict and probably focused a little bit more on training than an ACHA club team. At least I would hope so with how Lance West and the crew uh, for you, Peyton, last thing on the Chargers here, do you really, I mean, what do you think the expectations are for this team? I mean, I don't want to give it the win total number because that obviously can easily change with how many games this team plays. But on the ice, what do you want this, what do you want to see out of this team this season in particular? I think, you know, you kind of have to be realistic about how the season's going to go. I think, you know, you look at everything that happened back in the spring and how things have turned now. It's it's almost a matter of just let's just get through the season. Let's, let's tough it out. Whatever adversity comes our way, let's just get through it and do our best. And again, I think they're going to be forced up to, to be that tough team to play against. Uh, but I would think no matter what, that surely to God that they would get more than two victories. It's, it's, it's almost like you have to try to, uh, to only win two games. So, they were in the heat of a lot of games last year. Again, Mark Sinclair was a big part of that, but a lot of the losses were by one goal. A lot of times in the third period, they either had the lead or were tied. So it's just a matter of of really getting a hold of games and, and playing. You know, Mike Corbett called them out at times. They would play 45-minute games and, and, and not a full 60. So I think that's going to be up to, to Lance and Carlos and Carmine to, to get these guys focused for a whole 60 minutes. And if they can, maybe they'll be there. Even even against a team like Minnesota State, who knows? Well, I mean, of course, one of their wins last year came against Michigan Tech. And w- did Jerusik play that game? I'm, I don't remember if he played that. That was Jerusik. Yeah. Man, that, geez, I remember getting to call a game with Harrison when Jerusik played up in Ferris, and he was a magnificent goaltender. I personally think he was one of the most underrated goaltenders in the country, but that's just me from my, from my basic eye test. What am I, just a broadcaster who only played goaltender for 15 years? No big deal. But, of course, one of their wins, I want to say it, it wasn't necessarily a official win because it didn't come five on five, but one of them was against Ferris State, and that was not, I called the next night when Ferris State was able to beat him, but those were some very competitive hockey games. So the Chargers, are, they, last year, yeah, you see the two wins. I'm like, man, this team was awful. Yes, there were a couple games. The Minnesota State one comes to mind because the one game was fairly close, and the next night, it, it didn't go so well. But they were, they were there. And like I said, Sinclair had a lot to do with it, so a lot of pressure is going to come back on the goaltenders, you would think, especially with a young defense, young forwards up front. There's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for some of these guys, but eventually with development and proper development, proper just staying focused and realizing and being realistic, but trying to get better, it may not be this year, it may not be next year, but if the Chargers can continue to progress, Peyton, I think this team in a couple of years can, yeah, I'm not going to say conference championship, I'm not going to say tournament berth, but they'll be in the thick of it wherever they're playing. And they've used uh, Minnesota State as an example of how they want to build their program. They've actually had communications with 
Minnesota State's management. Like, okay, how did you guys get here? What were some of the things you did on the way up? So uh, that's really become that model team for them. And you've seen how great Minnesota State has been in the past couple of years. Uh, I want to mention, too, I, I did kind of snub these guys when I was talking about the lineup. Uh, there's a couple of incoming freshmen that catch my eye. And some of the players have, have talked about the skill that they, they bring. Be on the lookout for Jonah Alexander, who had 78 points in junior last year. He might be that young leader that they're looking for. Five foot eleven, left hand shot from Toronto. And then Tyrone Bronte is another player. And the cool thing about Tyrone is that I believe he's going to be the second player ever to play NCAA hockey from Australia. From Australia. Yes. He's he's actually from Melbourne. So he comes from the land down under, and apparently he brings uh, quite a bit of skill too. Coming from the land down, I'm trying to think of all the players that they've had in their time. I mean, the Australian league has a pretty decent semi-pro league from what I've been told in the past. So it may be pretty good. I mean, you hope that obviously it's definitely a unique story. That's for sure. Maybe that's one I got to, I got to reach out to. Maybe I can put that one in the hockey writers. Maybe that'd be an interesting story. So if you need a goal, just call up Tyrone, call up Tyrone. That's what I got to do. So last question here, obviously we pretty much talked almost about everything we could about the Chargers, and we obviously have to wait to see how they do this weekend. It'll be certainly interesting. They'll be featured on my college hockey scoreboard for sure uh, next week's show. Peyton, those Adidas guys, they did a thing today where they released a bunch of sweaters. I gotta ask, first of all, overall, before we get to the specific team that I'm gonna ask you about, overall, win or lose, was this a yay or a nay by the NHL and Adidas? Overall, I'd give it a yay. I think you need uh, fans love nostalgia. Hockey fans are, are good for that. And to, to come up with a creative way to bring it, uh, I think was it was a great job. Um, I mean, it came with the sacrifice of, of messing up some, some classic uniforms. And I think some of these teams, too many of them went with gray. But overall, I'd give it a thumbs up. So I, I, I would concur with that for the most part. I, I'll, I think that'll be all right. But because there's a couple of us laughers, and I'll get to that in our next segment here, our final segment of the show. The Nashville Predators. I, You know, let me give my take first, Peyton. I'll let you go here in a second. I'm kind of disappointed because I was really hoping for the old silver and arms and even like the actual Nashville Predators script above the Predator head logo. I Something like that. But then again, that's just me. I like to see old classic sweaters. If you just brought back old sweaters... I'd be okay with it because I'm old school that way. I would love to see the old Dallas Stars black sweaters instead of this black neon crap. And the, the ones, uh, the ones I got now. Okay, I'll I'll mention that here later on. But Nashville's it really looks like their jerseys they have now, but they just put white arms down the side. That's what it looks like to me. Peyton, your thoughts on the Predators reverse retros? Well, it is it is the design of their original jersey from the 1998 season. The only thing is I wish they had included now that. I mean, that skull shoulder patch is hard to argue with. That is an awesome logo. But I do wish that they did bring back the, the Spire logo, um, the Spire of Bridgestone Arena, the Geck logo, so to speak. Yes. Uh, yeah, if you're going to throw it back to 98, I go all the way. Uh, but it, as far as the design, it is the actual design pattern, I think, down the arms, it's actually sort of a light silver. Um, so they, they're pretty well deformed, and, and pretty much if you look at the old jersey, it's just the, the gold and the blue reverse. So 
I think they did about as good of a job as they could. I'm glad they kept the old uh, number font. It's it's actually the old logo. Uh, it's, it doesn't have the the runny nose predator with the gold down the side. It's actually got the the little ridges in the logo. Oh yeah, um, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, I think they did about as good of a job as you could, and it's really the only jer- only jersey that you could throw back to. Uh, I don't think that the world is ready for the mustard cat to come back. No, you're wrong. We need that mustard one to come back. We need I, that I, ugly I 3D. I I wouldn't mind it one bit. I actually love that jersey. It's um, it's incredibly underrated, if you ask me. I would agree, but there, we know that there's very few people on this earth that would agree with us on that. I, um, I'll say this. At the time when it first came out, I was like, what the heck is that? I mean, they're trying to make it look like a real saber coming out of the sweater. I'm like, that's okay. But nowadays, whenever I, whenever my brother and I, we play NHL 21, we do. there's the one way we pick our teams. We hit the random button three times, and that's the team we get. And if I get Nashville, I am wearing those ugly sweaters because, darn it, that, hey, I wear ugly sweaters for Christmas. Why not Nashville wear ugly sweaters for Christmas on the ice? Why not? I mean, come on. It's easy. It's, they, they won a lot wearing that jersey. I, I can't think of hardly any time that they wore that jersey and lost. It was a, it was a good luck charm for them. That was the 04 sweater. And if I'm not mistaken, that was the jersey they wore when, because Pete Weber reminded me of the story of when, Steve Eiserman blew the glass out of Bridgestone Arena because he was so mad during like a 9-2 wings loss. That was fight night. Literally, the, the it's not the most penalty minutes ever in a hockey game, but I'm pretty sure it's most penalty minutes in a Nashville and or Detroit Red Wings game. Well, okay, maybe not Detroit because obviously, you know, March 26, 1997. But I'm pretty sure for Nashville, it's the most penalty minutes they ever had because there was drop the puck, McCarty. And I'm trying to think of the other goons for uh, for Nashville. Jim McKenzie. Comes oh to my mind. gosh, Jim McKenzie. Yep, that was another guy. And then dropped the gloves again. Maltby would get into a fight. I think Iserman got into a fight too that night, even though he had one knee. But Iserman, then again, Iserman, if he get, if Iserman got going, he'd like fight Chris Chelios or go after Forsberg. And no, that wouldn't be a good idea. But he'd still do it because, despite being Iserman being five foot nine, five ten, whatever he is, he's willing to fight. If, if it comes to it, he'll drop the gloves. That's what, at least from what I remember. That's a leader right there. That is a leader. He didn't need to talk. So we're going to take a break, folks. Peyton, actually, are are you available for much longer? Because I'm actually curious. Would you want to stay for the talk about the rest of the sweaters with Alex? Yeah, let's, let's go for it. I'm a, I'm a Jersey nut. So All right. We'll keep Peyton on here. When we come back, we'll bring Alex into the phone call here because I think I can do that on my phone. Well, hopefully it works because now we're going to have Peyton and Alex talking about the reverse retro sweaters here on the Cool Show. We'll be back right after this. And welcome back, everyone, to The Cule Show, brought to you by Second String Leather Company. Great company there. 50% off wallet, Second String Leather Company. Hashtag crafted from the crease. Look at this. I got two mo- I got two images next to me. Look at these guys. I mean, I say this, look at this, but people listening on the podcast are probably like, what are you doing? Well, Peyton Turner just hanging in there with us. Coming on now on the line, the guy that shouldn't couldn't show up today because apparently he's too good for the show, Alex Cule, the other guy. They're both here. Alex, how are you? Uh, doing pretty good. I uh, had a, a lot of great. Good story, Alex. No one cares. <laughs> that I have to take care of. Um, but since 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 the show is sponsored by Second String Leather Company, crafted from the crease, I do have to send out a shout out to 
our great friend and uh, partner, Joe Messina. Um, One of the co-founders, I, yep. Who is also, I'm able to work with uh, through Davenport University. Oh, yeah. Alex um, is an assistant coach, by the way. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, by the way. Um, no, just just as a, a quick teaser on the line, a, a hot one, some breaking news. We no, don't made. drop it yet. No, don't drop it yet. Nothing set in stone. Nothing. No, Alex, don't do it. I know what you're about to say. Hold off on it. Maybe something coming down the line. Who knows? Maybe we'll something coming along down the line. Nothing for sure yet. However, we got some news to talk about today. Literally broke this morning. So we actually had something to talk about here for the last half hour of TKS before talking minors with the rando comes up here on 12 Ounce Sports. The Adidas reverse retro sweaters. And we talked about Nashville before the break with Peyton. Alex, we'll get your thoughts here in a minute. Let's go alphabetically here because we got to start alphabetically simply because of the fact that the best sweater is by the team with the first on the list of alphabetical. The Mighty Ducks of Anaheim have brought back the Flying Wild Wing. Yes! The best one! I don't let anyone tell me different. Aren't you the guy that said that was literally the worst one? The fact they brought it back, though, Alex, just shows that it is the best. It's ironically, it's like ironically the best. That's what the best part about it is. It's the fact that Adidas... Oh, shows that they have balls. That's true, because it literally looks like the original, but just they flipped the the teal and the white. That's really all they did. Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose. I mean, I, honestly, I've looked at these jerseys. Now. I told myself I just might as well not go on Facebook because all of the hockey pages are just blowing up my feed with all of these. So I might as well. It's just the same thing over and over again. But no, Anaheim. I I definitely like this one because it it's it's just a lot different than any of the other jerseys that we've seen. The closest ones of the habit is probably the next one that we'll talk about. But no, I, the mighty ducks of Anaheim is very well represented with this one. Paying plus the original rumor was that it was going to be orange, which oh. would have been just absolutely horrid. So the fact that they come out with this, I hate the font on it, but for creativity and for nostalgia's sake, I like it. I like that one too. And, and I, I always like to remind people this sweater came out the same season that Wild Wing opening night against Detroit tried to jump through a flaming hoop and caught himself on fire. So the fact that they brought out a sweater with a flying Wild Wing and the actual Wild Wing caught on fire, the Wild Wing we actually have here in studio. Look at this thing. We actually have a legit Wild Wing here. This guy caught on fire when they brought out that sweater. So I'm just saying that was kind of ironic. So a little bit of trivia fact for you there, guys. The next one. So alphabetically in today's NHL is correct. But this team was back in the day. They were the howling Phoenix Coyotes, the Kachina Coyotes. The Arizona Coyotes come out with the 90, late 90s, what was typically green with the Coyote, now purple again, retro, reverse. I don't mind it. It's not my favorite, but I, I like it, guys. What do you guys think? Peyton, you first. The green sweater is probably one of the ugliest in history right up there. With the, it might as well be the Mooderous. Peyton, we just talked and, about the mustard sweaters right before the break. <laughs> listen, but <laughs> turns out all they needed was a color swap with the purple matching the city of Phoenix, kind of matching up with the suns. Yep. It's beautiful. I love it. I think it's one of the best. Alex? Well, I'll have to say that the reason why I like this sweater is because purely on the basis that it serves its purpose as a really good alternate. It is completely different from all of the other stuff. I love the fact that they brought back 
the use of the the desert scenery like on the bottom no it's it's a good it's a good jersey and i think it's it's one that not too many people know about because it wasn't very popular when it originally came out because it came out right at the peak of the Roanick, Kachuk, Happy, Boolin Coyotes, and they actually wore it in the playoffs, too, because for some reason, teams the out west, they like to wear their alternates as their playoff sweaters. I don't get it. The next one is just, you know, Peyton, I'll give you the mustard sabers over these Boston Bruins ones, man. I, I, I don't. I get it, but I don't at the same time. I, pay, I, I just don't like the yellow as your base color. What do you say? We're having too many teams follow Nashville and going gold. I think you're seeing too much of it now. And this Boston sweater is no uh, no exception. I did like the the gold sweaters at the Winter Classic back in 2010. Yep. But this sweater just doesn't quite do it for me. Well, I mean, that's the one thing too. You're going to see with a lot of these. That's why they call them reverse retro. It's the reverse of the retro jerseys. I personally would have. You know what? I think because we talked about how we get the Wild Wing with the Anaheim Ducks, Alex. Bring back Pooh Bear. Do that with black, though, instead. And uh, Well, I mean, honestly, I probably would have liked that jersey. You're, you're talking about the brown one, right? Yeah, the Winnie the Pooh Honey Bear one. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that would have been that would have been good. Honestly, that's what I was kind of thinking about it. And then I saw Adidas release the shoulder patch with the the yellow outline. And I, I, I kind of thought that this was something that they were going to do and just seeing it just it's, it's sad. It's a, it's a, it's an eyesore. The next one is the Buffalo Sabres. And we had Jordan DeShane on a couple weeks ago and he said he did not want the dinner plate sweater. Just don't do that. And I'm a big fan of the late nineties, the red and black this time they go with, and because Alex, you wanted the dinner plate one, you get that, but with white oh. and the Royal blue and yellow colors, Alex, Alex, I know you like this one already. False. I don't like this one. I don't know what got in your head. That you said you liked the red one. You liked the plain red, the 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 original alternate, the red ones. So I thought you would have liked no. these ones. Oh, no, I didn't. I told you that I like the red and black, meaning the like the goat one, the goat jersey, the buffalo jersey, the flying goat. Well, okay, you said the way yeah. you said it. You're as you said on throne of lies. <laughs> Tyler, you are the king of taking things out of context, so I don't want to hear No. I think they got so close, they were in the right wheelhouse with the flying goat on the shoulders, but they, they just had to ruin it. They, they What are you doing? Because they, the, they went with the original font, too. Yes. Peyton, what, what do you think about Buffalo's attempt at bringing back the, the dinner plate butter knife sweaters? and throwing the new color, or this me, the old colors into it. Leave it to Buffalo to have a great concept and then just totally fail in execution. Jack, I... Uh, <laughs> when I saw the, the, the teaser of the goat head, I gasped literally out loud. I went, <gasps> then I saw it was the shoulder, and I realized, oh, God, they're going to do the dinner plate jersey, aren't they? And sure enough, I mean, it looks fine with the colors, but there were so many other options they could have gone with. Yeah, that would have been good to see... I, I think that I, I then again, I'm like, just go with the black and red. But then again, like I say, I like to just see the classic sweaters, which is why up there with my favorites is the Calgary Flames jersey. They bring back the flaming horse head. They change the white trim on the bottom, which I'm OK with. But they pretty much brought back 
the old 2000s, the prime Jerome McGinley jerseys back. I love them, guys. I don't know about you. Peyton, what do you think? I'm, I'm, was informed by Michael, uh, Michael Napier of UAHHockey.com that I'm no longer allowed to hate the Blast Seahorse because UAH actually used that logo for a few seasons. So I yeah. used to hate it, but uh, now seeing it, it's pretty neat, although I think it's going to tick off some Vancouver fans with the black and the red and yellow together. That is a... Now I think about it, that's a really good point because could you, oh my gosh, can you imagine? They should have done it white so then you could have the skate blade Canucks take on the blasty fall flames because that would have been true retro, reverse retro because they never had blasty on a white sweater. If you put him on a white sweater, it would not have looked as good. But for the sake of that rivalry, why not? Why not make everyone mad? It'd be fun. Alex, what do you think? Well, this, I, I, I really like this jersey, honestly. I think it's cool. Um, but the reason why I always remember this jersey, it's not because it's the like prime againla jerseys, it's the Mika Kiprasov trade jerseys. Because if you remember when he was originally traded to the Flames from San Jose. Had that... What's that? Oh, from San Jose, yep. Yeah, yeah, from San Jose. Uh, when he was originally traded, his helmet that he wore for quite a little bit before he got his custom one was just it was quite literally a plain white helmet. But it had the flame horse uh, right behind the ear, and I always thought of that. So this, uh, this is the to me, this is the Kippersoft jersey, and I'm all for it. The Kippersoft trade jersey, because then in oh, I believe it was oh three, they made that like their third. They kind of excommunicated when they brought in the red jersey with the black C on it. Next one, Alex, I'll lead off with you with this one: the Carolina Whalers jersey, and oh, beautiful. It, I, you know, it's funny because it's got the regular. Prime blue and green, though the outline is the original blue for Hartford, but it takes the gray from the mid to late 90s towards the end of their time in Hartford. They take that gray and make that the base color. As much as I love the original Kelly green with the white and the little blue trim, I don't like I don't mind these, Alex. No, this is the Brendan Shanahan as the captain, Pierre Maguire. Oh, God. now you ruined it. Now you ruined it. <laughs> Brendan no, Shane as a no, captain, no, that's no, fine. No. Pierre Maguire, head coach, and you just done ruined it, Alex. Way to go. But, I mean, come on, though. You you have to think with with all the teams that um, have had or in the past have used like a retro kind of jersey as an alternate, the Carolina Hurricanes have decided to switch it up a little bit. Like they've they've always done the green, you know, old school Whalers jersey, but now they decided to switch it up. Which I mean, I could look at some other teams down the line and not say the same, but personally, I'm biased. I just ha- I like I like it. I do like it, Peyton, and you're right there, kind of in the the southern the southern hockey scene. Carolina starting to come back around, and right now you see these cool sweaters, and they they really worked last season. I don't mind seeing Brass Bonanza come back for a couple games in these unis. Don't mind it a bit. That's a great brand. It's a very iconic brand. Uh, no fans don't exactly like it, um, especially the ones up north. But, I mean, when you have such a great brand in your history, why not bring it back? I mean, I, I like these jerseys. I don't like that it's gray. I wish they would have gone with – I mean, they could have gone with either green or, or blue as the base. But uh, something's missing just a little bit with me with, with the gray. 
Yeah, the Chris Pronger. You see, Alex, you, sh- you messed it up. You could have said Shanahan's your captain. You should have said Chris Pronger as a whaler. That's what you should have gone with, Alex. You Kevin ha- Deneen. Kevin Deneen, Sean Burke, Pat Verbe- See, but here's, here's the thing. I don't want to bring up Chris Pronger in this entire conversation. Why, because Brian Burke traded him? He's been he's played for so many teams throughout his career, it confuses me. Well, you have to remember Arizona Coyotes legend Chris Pronger. <laughs> yeah, Arizona Coyotes, Philadelphia, Edmonton, St. Louis. Yeah, yeah, the list goes on. <laughs> so the next one, this one, the next one's I don't want to say controversial, but the way it was released, every other team you saw the front emblem and a little bit on the side. The Hawks released, the Chicago Blackhawks one was released with just the name and number showing initially, but now I see on my athletic here, they went with the original Chicago Blackhawks logo, which they used back in the 30s and 40s. This one here is uh, pretty, pretty meh. I say meh. I like the idea they bring back the original logo, but the rest of it, eh. Peyton, what do you think? They played in the Winter Classic so many times, they ran out of design, so this is the best they could come up with. <laughs> I concur with that one. I mean, Honestly, though. how I would I'm it's either them or Pittsburgh up there for the top spot. That's for sure. In terms of winter classic, Alex, you're on the Hawks here. What do you think? Uh, I think it's clean and simple. And I think for the Hawks organization, when you look at their jerseys that they've always been, they're kind of like, they're kind of like the Detroit Red Wings where they don't really stray too far from the original stuff. So that I think for them, this is it's on brand. Jesse Granger wrote the article for the athletic that I'm pulling these off of. And he said, according to Adidas, they have never used, used this Jersey in this colorway before ever. And just based on the team we'll get to a little bit later, I don't think Adidas did much research on reverse retros, but that's neither here nor there. We'll get to the Islanders <clears throat> here in a second. The one that's been both, the okay one and the best one in the history of mankind is the Colorado Avalanche. And it's literally guys. And I love it. Cause I, I, I love old school teams. I love the Nordique and their history. It's literally the Nordique, but instead of red burgundy, Alex, I mean, I, that's pretty much what it looks like, right, Alex? Oh, it, it you're, you're completely right. And I'm all for it. Now, this is one of the, I've looked at all the jerseys, and when I was going through, I made a top 10 list of which ones I would actually consider buying. And this is at the top of the list by far. Peyton. This is the, oh, sorry, Alex. Go ahead. It's so, it's so pretty. I'm, I'm sorry. You have the gorgeous color palette of, you know, the avalanche. And then you just bring back the Nordique. The, this is something that the not just the Colorado fans, not just Quebec City fans, all hockey fans have wanted to bring back this jersey. Yes, it's not to the original, but still, it's pretty darn cool. Peyton, I don't know about you, but whenever I play, if I ever had to play as the Colorado Avalanche when I was a kid, because when I was a kid, Patrick Wall was the devil. But if I ever did, or if I ever played against Colorado, I would always make them wear the Nordique jerseys. Now you get to see these. I, I mean, I can't wait to see them on the ice. I grew up obviously long after uh, you know, when I first started watching hockey. It was long after Nordiques had departed. So to see this come back and the way that the Avalanche had designed it, I'm with you guys. It's just absolutely beautiful. It's simple. It's unique. 
I and I it's I'm I'm glad they went with the white ones too because I don't know if the burgundy would have really overpowered because you guys probably you guys don't remember Peyton around the time that the mustard jerseys came out for Nashville they had that burgundy with the Colorado going diagonally across and that just seemed like too much burgundy I think they went right with the white ones here guys yeah I agree and so now we move to Columbus Columbus is interesting because. Their retros, as I use quotes here, kind of similar to the story of Nashville, they didn't really have much. They had the the logo with the star on it, but it was either the plain whites with the blue shoulders or the blue ones, which were just all blue with stars on the hand on the wrists. They kept the stars. This time they go white shoulders, red base. I, I'm okay with it. I mean, it goes away from the blue jackets, you know, the kind of the history of the blue jackets, but in terms of looks, it doesn't look bad. Peyton, what do you think? That star logo, I think it's one of the best logos in hockey. And then conversely, I absolutely loathe the CBJ logo. So I hate to see that back. Uh, I don't mind the red design. I think overall it's a good uniform, but really wish they would stuck with the star logo. Alex? Uh, I'm a little bit indifferent on this one. I mean, to me, it just looks like they we're kind of thinking what can we do and they were like let's just take the ohio flag like the state of ohio flag and just make into a jersey and throw the old logo on it it's kind of what it looks like to me honestly yeah i would i would concur a little bit a little bit more red than the state flag but i would concur there the next team is the dallas stars dallas stars jersey and they went back to that close to that era they, with the star outline, the star trim, but they just add so much more white, and it looks painful to look at. Alex, I would have liked... What? Well, hold on. I Listen, I you know me. I want the black arms, the like the ones they took from Minnesota and brought up to Dallas with them. That's what I was hoping for. I think Dude. this would have looked better, Alex, in black. I could be wrong. What do you think? Well... You have to look at it, and I'm just counting real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, eight. Out of all the ones that they released, so 23 total, I think, eight of them are white, with three being gray. Uh, and this was one of the like designs. So like the star outline looks really nice, but the reason why I like this one is the same reason why I liked the... Um, outdoor game between Toronto and the Capitals, the Toronto jerseys. It just takes, it's, it's white and it's clean and it, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I think this jersey looks really good. This is like the, probably the second or third best jersey, I would say in my eyes. I will say they're probably better than the ones they had in like 08, 09, which just said Dallas on it. Peyton, I don't know about you, but it's not the worst one, but it's not one of my favorites. I don't know about you. I really wanted that star jersey to come back, and I got my wish, just not quite the way I imagined. I think it's got too much white, and, you know, they've, uh, it's another team that's had great ideas and has totally uh, failed in execution. You know, they got that monster jersey that glows in the dark, but guess what? They don't play in the dark. So <laughs> I had to be epic fail on this one. Too much white. Can't see the design very well, especially the logo. Well, American Airlines Center apparently is pretty dark, and they're not going to have any fans this year, so it's going to look pretty dumb. So we'll just see how that goes. The next one, the T-shirt, the Detroit Red Wings. 
Yikes. I, I, no. And, and world and Cody Jansen, we've had on the show before. He posted on World Hockey Report. Let's play a game, guys. T-shirt or NHL jersey? Literally, guys. Like, what is this? Peyton, I, it looks like they tried to do something with, like, their old, like, 1940s jersey, but just like, let's just get rid of the red. That seems logical, right? I mean, this, it, what is this? What is this? It's nothing. Thank you. It's nothing. Apparently they tried to take after the design of the outdoor game between Detroit and Toronto from a handful of years ago, but uh, at least they had red on the sleeves. I mean, good Lord. If you're going to do this, I was really hoping Detroit was going to go back to that 40s and 50s, like simplified wing wheel logo, but we literally got nothing. They could have gone back to like the, there was the one in the 75, uh, 75th year season of the NHL where they wore like the red striped ones I've seen. I, I used to play those when I play NHL games as well because at least they were something different. Alex, I, I honestly look at this jersey. I'm like, this looks like a jersey when we went to Traverse City and watched their training camp. This looks like something they'd wear at that. It's an overpriced practice jersey. Thank you. It's, uh, listen, I know Stevie Eisen probably had nothing to do with it, but come on. Like it said, this jer- the uh, description is this jersey is a spin on the one worn by 1998 team captain and general manager Steve Eiserman. What? It's not. There's nothing that it looks nothing like it. But then again, I'm not. Wor- I don't work for Adidas. I would not have come up with a good idea. Next one, Edmonton. Okay, eh, I'm, I'm not mad. I'm not sad about it. I'm not happy about it. It's just kind of like, hey, let's just flip the colors. That's pretty much all it is. I personally, Alex. I would have liked to seen the oil drop ones come back. The blue ones with the, you know what I'm talking about, right? The slanted oil drop. Absolutely not. Oh, come on. Here's the thing. Gear on it. Yeah. That would have been the, the old, I mean, that have been the old four year Dwayne, Ryan Smith, Sean Horcroft, Corey Cross. Oh man. That team was legit. The Oilers are one of those teams that they, they've, gone back to the old colors and the old designs so much kind of like chicago where they didn't really have a lot left to do so they just like yeah this is par for the course let's just throw this out there why not pay in i mean it's not a bad jersey but it just looks like they're other than the ones they have now just a little different they're really trying to push that orange agenda uh, if they're going to do it, they should have gone all the way and had the orange Oilers logo from the WHA. Oh, yeah. That would have been something. Because I remember those. I think the thing with those is that it's hard to read Oilers because looking back on Gretzky's like rookie card, I can see where there'd be the issue there. Um, the well, next the Dallas logo. Then, well, you listen. I, I, listen. I can't control what Texas does, okay? I can at least contr- try to give my opinion on what a, st- a historic franchise like Edmonton can. But speaking of teams that have not had many years of success, but probably came out with one, again, talking about the Sun Belt teams coming out with some good sweaters, the Florida Panthers. I love them. Then again, I've always been a fan of the blue, the old blue ones, because I have a Roberto Luongo jersey in my closet. I'm looking at it right now. doesn't have the gold trim. It was yellow. But Peyton, I love it. What about you? So I'm not a fan of their updated uh, colors, but on this jersey, it's really put together fantastically. And that Panther logo is one of the best in hockey history, I think, as far as overall detail. So I like this one. And a lot of teams seem like a lot of high school and college teams try to knock it off somehow. Alex here, what do you got? 
when okay so with their current colors i was concerned that they would have done something similar to the beezer jerseys like beesbrook but i like the fact that they went back to like the the dark blue um base and all it's, it's just it's a good jersey yeah I, no, jersey. Not, nothing else needed you said jersey the, you say the Ole yokin in jersey there peyton Yes. Oh, yeah. I think that they went with the red. I've been a little more noticing. Uh, we only got 10 minutes left here. I don't mean to rush you guys. Give your take still. Don't we don't, don't don't rush too much, but we are on a time constraint here. We got Talking Myers coming up next here on 12 Ounce Sports. Los Angeles Kings. They actually used this logo, guys, before Gretzky came on board. They didn't use it on their sweaters, but that was their logo in the 87-88 season before Gretzky came on board. Now they're actually using it on these sweaters. You know, it's got the tribute to the old golden yellow or purple and gold jerseys i like it eh, i'm confused but okay <laughs> you're confused peyton excellent blending of the arrows and about as good as they could have done i love it yeah i because I, I i don't know if the the crown with the black and silver would have looked good so i i'm okay with this one now let's get to the minnesota north star slash subway jerseys the minnesota wild i I get it. You're trying to be the North Stars, but you're not the North Stars. I mean, I don't know what they could have done differently, though, I guess, given the fact that, once again, they're an expansion franchise from the 2000s. They don't have too many different kinds of sweaters. But, Peyton, this is what we get. You get the John Deere jersey. Oh, yes. Now, if they had gone full green, I think that's when we would have called it the John Deere. But I, I concur with that one. It's not bad, but it's not great. Alex, I mean, eh. <laughs> Minnesota is always North Stars country, and it's a sad fact that the Dallas Stars and the Minnesota Wild have not been able to come to an agreement on selling the rights to the North Stars logo to Minnesota. That's a real good point. Wow. Look at Alex coming in here with some stuff. Look at him. Because well, I mean, Let me look at it. It's Minnesota North Stars colors. Yeah. There is Minnesota, but they just don't have the logo. That's what it is. Right. So I, it's it's interesting. You know, eh, you know what, guys? Here, let's let's do this. We're gonna so we're not gonna go off air now, but let's keep going. Let's actually take our time here because I don't know about Alex, Alex Payton. You guys have any time constraints? I'm good. All right. So what we'll do, we'll keep going here. We'll go till eight thirty, but we'll cut off the live feed. We'll keep recording. So so this is where I'm gonna give my plug here for the replay edition of the Kewl Show. We'll go to Kewl Show overtime coming up here. So we'll do that. We'll stay, we'll stay recording. It'll be on our YouTube channel tomorrow and on our podcast format on all your favorite podcatchers, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, not YouTube, <laughs> or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, I'm pretty sure we're still on. So stay tuned with us. We'll cut it off at 8.30 here on 12 Ounce Sports, but we'll continue on. You'll see, you see the rest tomorrow because I got a lot to say on a couple more of these jerseys. So um, I guess when I say that, any other takes on the past couple of jerseys, guys, that I missed out on? I do apologize. Minnesota is one of the biggest failure brands as a franchise up and down, and they just keep on proving it no matter what they try. I will say this. Nashville and Minnesota just always seem to find their way into the playoffs. I'd say Nashville, though, has had a lot more success, but I do agree with Peyton there. Alex? This is what I'll say about Minnesota, and it was was brought up as a concept jersey where they basically, instead of having the regular wild logo like they have it here with the North Stars colors, instead what they had was basically kind of like a big M that kind of was a parody of the North Stars logo. So it was like a parody of 
you know, the star with the N, but it was a star with the M. I, ooh, well, that, well, then here's the thing, Alex, with that, you're ending up going towards the, like, oh, look, it's a star McDonald's or something like that. There's already the subway joke here, Alex. I mean, that's why I think if you try to add an M there, I think it would have been too much. Uh, maybe. Either way, they're doing the best with what they got. I mean, come on. Come on, really? Do you just drop the command to come Minnesota? On. This ain't New Jersey. You can't do the command. No, command. Come on, come on. Come on. All right. For the fleet fam. The what? What? Peyton, what did he just say? I heard a lot of Jewish. That's that's what I heard too. Typical Please farm. Farm? What? Fleet farm. You know, Fle- like farm and fleet. Oh, farm and fleet. Yeah. Okay. Actually. Before I go on, Peyton, do they have that down there in the South Farm and Fleets? A, a, a what? A farm. It's called the farm family family home farm and fleet. That's like our like rural tools and I guess farm equipment uh, store. We have tractor supply here. We have a couple of those up here. I know that. And I, I think there's one in Ontario too, but I know there's that. So farm and fleet must be a regional thing. Montreal uh, tractor supply. Co-op, Orchlands, yeah, you get it. Oh, yeah, those ones. Places I've never set foot in because I I, 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 I live in suburbia. We, we don't have much of that around here. We get our lawnmowers from Lowe's and Home Depot, and that's about it. <laughs> we don't get the big boys. Montreal, guys. Uh, you know what? I, I don't have a problem with this one. I was hesitant at first because remember how Montreal and the Centennial, they tried to bring back the blue Canadian sea and whatever looked kind of funky. I was hesitant about them bringing back the blue, but Peyton, it, it, it fits. This is a jersey I've wanted to see them do for a long time, and I never thought they would do it. And sure enough, here it is. So it's maybe in my top five from this. You know, because the, the old ones they used to wear back in the early Maurice Rocket Richard days was the white with red trim and the blue stripe. That's what they used to do. And Alex, this time, they kind of do a full reversal. They put the white on the trim, red as, pre, uh, red as the stripe, which doesn't blend in with the, with the Hab C, which I'm actually, with, I'm, I was shocked to see because they did the trim right and the blue jerseys. It doesn't look bad. No, it doesn't look bad. I, I do wish that it was the the white C for Canadians because that's just a, a personal thing. I've always liked But you like to see it like the actual logo, not the white regular C. You're talking about the, I don't want to say the toilet bowl C, but the one they have now, but just in white. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's, it's, a, it's a good jersey. No, this is a very, very good one. Yeah, that one's a solid one. And... Yeah, that one's not bad at all. And I, I like it. And some people say it's a it's a tip to the cap to the 19th Stanley Cup team in 1976. Uh, it look, I mean, Montreal is one of the few franchises that's hardly ever changed the look of their jerseys over the years. So you could have really taken any any possible Canadian team from the past. Nashville, we talked with Peyton. He likes it. It's got a little bit of the original silver trim. They went with the yellow jersey. They brought back the original font. Not the mustard saber tooth ones, unfortunately. The 3D saber tooth ones. Alex, this will be the last one before we go off here on the air here on 12 Ounce Sports. Alex, Smashville. Yay or nay for you? Meh. Meh. It, 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 it's, it's all right. I mean, it, it's not bad. It's, it's just not good. Just not good. 
Peyton, I'll give you. I'll send you Alex's address. You can send him a box of turd in the mail if you want. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I actually kind of agree with him. I think this jersey is kind of middle of the pack for the Jeez. show. All right, so we're going to go off air here on 12 Ounce Sports. We'll keep recording. Like I said, it'll be on the replay tomorrow, both in the podcast form and the YouTube replay on the Cule Show channel. Coming up next here on Talking Talk, on 12 Ounce Sports, Talking Myers at the Rando. Mentor Icebreakers no longer in the FPHL. Their season operations. He'll also have more to talk about on the FPHL, more rumors. He'll have that coming up. We're going off the air here, but folks, be sure to tune in tomorrow. We'll have the entire replay of this Cule Show episode. We still got Peyton and Alex talking with us here. We'll be back here. We'll come back on the recording, so stay tuned. But for all of us here on 12 Ounce Sports, thank you all for watching. We will see you next time here on 12 Ounce Sports. And we are back, like, right away. Because, you know, now we don't have restraints. We can just go off air because now we're stopped, we're stopped streaming. Uh, still back here with Peyton Turnage and Alex Kuehl. We just finished talking about Smashville. As I said, kind of looks like their current jerseys with just some shoulder and the original font. So once again, harping back to the retro days. How about them Christmas jerseys, guys? They're in New Jersey. How about that, Alex? I Listen, it's tis the season, man. Tis the season. It may not have Thanksgiving yet, but clearly someone in New Jersey in there at Adidas said, let's just let's make it green. Because isn't this, uh, let's say, it's not the full scale, but it's pretty darn close to what they were in the States. I, they took their jerseys, their re- retro jerseys, they reversed the colors, and Alex, this is what we get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's no better way to put it they're they're the other team them and then the islanders too which i mean we'll talk about in a second but like the oilers they're just one of those teams that they've tried going back to like the old colors before and yeah it's just it's not a bad jersey don't get me wrong it's still i think that it's aesthetically pleasing but it's just more of the same which kind of makes it seem boring to me yeah, and they, they mention on here the green is part of the Delvos color scheme to represent the Garden State, which is what it is called. And Peyton, up here in Grand Rapids, back in the old IHL days, it seemed like the Griffins had the very unique Christmas jerseys every year. And their last year in the IHL looks very similar to these jerseys. What do you think about the Garden State New Jersey Devil sweaters? I'm glad they brought back the green. Uh, really, don't have have much to add other than what you guys said. I think it's I think it's just fine. Yeah, it's not a bad one. I mean, I like it, but it's it's a it's a jersey. It's one they're gonna wear because well, they're paying them to do so. All right, boys, let's let's get out the flamethrowers, let's get out the sledgehammers, and pull out the machine guns. The New York Islanders. All right. Okay, and listen, I get it. The late 90s, the post-Fisherman jerseys, that's what pretty much these are, because that's what they went to. They went to the dark blue, as the Oilers did. So that's pretty much what these are, but they're literally the exact same sweaters. Peyton, what? I, did they take the day off there at Adidas when they were trying to figure it out? Did they forget that the mid-90s Fisherman Jack sweaters existed? What in the heck were they thinking? Were they even thinking with these jerseys, Peyton? All they did was just take the jerseys they have now and hey, let's do this, but with navy blue. So I've given guff to the Wild and the Sabres and the Stars for their jersey choices, but the Islanders are right up there. They are consistently terrible when it comes to jersey design. 
If you're going to do it, go all the way. Go orange. It wouldn't have been that bad. Oh, so, uh, yeah, this just this lacks considerably. So you're telling me they should have brought back those awful orange with the blue, like, spikes coming across them? Like, uh, what was that? Was That That wasn't even John no, Tavares. Take era. what they have now. Take what they have now and make it orange. But, yeah, because that design is terrible, too. Well, they were all, that's the point. Well, at least they didn't go with the, either the A, the Brooklyn Nets jerseys, the blackout ones. That would have been stupid. But also the, the ones that Tavares had to wear, like, they had, like, the orange and silver shoulders and the black that just said Islanders across it. Let's be glad they didn't go with those. Alex, like I said, I and this kind of comes to my wild wing deal. I would have loved to have seen the Fisherman Jack jerseys just because of how just kind of dumb they were. But since they're going to go for it, why not try it? That's just me. Alex, what do you think? I would have liked that, too, personally, because they, yeah, um, look at look at all the other jerseys. How many on this list has the like kind of weird alternative Anaheim? Arizona, and that's it. Well, Buffalo, that's it. Too, Buffalo too, Alex. Uh, that's not weird. That's just depressing. <laughs> um, but this goes back to, and now, Tyler, I told you this. Back when they had those Brooklyn Nets jerseys, I told you that they should do a full rebrand with that simple, like, NI with, or NY with the Y hockey stick being their main logo, and they should have just switched to that. But no, they went back to their glory days, kind of like how Edmonton does, where, huh, we had a stretch of where we won, like, what, three cups in a row, something like that? Four cups, four cups in a row. Oh, yeah, four cups. Don't forget that last one. Yeah, no, the best days are behind us, but hey, maybe we'll win again, so we'll wear the same jerseys that that we wore last time. Do I have to text Chris King, Alex, and tell him that you said that? Chris, which one? Local boy or not so local? Hey, our Islanders guy. We had him on. We had him on two weeks ago, Alex. I know multiple Chris Kings, Ty. You got to be specific. The one that we had a good time talking to, and if we had TKS overtime that day, that'd have been a lot better. I think that'd have been a lot more fun. But yeah. so no, you can you can talk to him about that. No, I'll, we'll have that discussion. I'm pretty sure I just realized that his phone is a landline, so maybe I couldn't text him. Uh, may have to email him, but. Where the Islanders falter. Guys, the Rangers came back in spades. They bring back Lady Liberty. I like, I mean, it's not It's not the original. I get it. It's very more basic, just simple blue with red trim. But it's, it, honestly, guys, it kind of looks like, and this is going to be maybe me being the dumb historian that I am, this looks like the original Rangers from the 30s and 40s back when Lester Patrick had to play goaltender because Lorne Chabot got his eye poked out during a game. It's that basic blue with red numbers, but instead of the Ranger going across, it's Lady Liberty. That's what it looks like to me, Alex. Lester or Uncle Fester, I don't care who is wearing the jersey. This thing is sexy. I'm sexy! Fun. This is no, probably number five on the list of the best jerseys on it. It's clean. I've always loved this logo. I'm just upset that Hendrik Lundqvist doesn't get to wear this jersey. Because remember, guys, he wore that when he first came over to New York. They still had that jersey. And Peyton, I mean, it would have looked on... Because could you imagine if King Hendrik did stay in New York? Because you know with the money, like the way he likes to design his pads, we've seen the Washington ones, he would have put Lady Liberty on the pads and he would have Lady Liberty on his chest. 
poor King Henrik. He got he left it. He got he got kind of trounced at the wrong time. They would have had to play him opening night with these jerseys if that was the case. Oh man, I I absolutely love the Lady Liberty logo. Those jerseys are classic. Again, that's one of the best of all time. On this jersey, though, man, I wish they would have done just a little bit more with the sleeves. I just like I don't want to give it the practice jersey vibe, but it's almost there. Like again, I'm glad they brought back the logo, but I wish they would have done just a little bit more. Yeah, I, I concur with you there. And like I said, that's why I think they went back to the original old, like when they entered the league Rangers jerseys, because that's what they, at least the basic design of the jersey is. Because back then, if you had more than a couple stripes on the arm, you were doing too much back in those days. And all the carp and all the all the, the textile workers, they were doing way too much to try to put a sweater together. The Ottawa Senators. Now, this is unique, guys, because they literally oh. just switched Back to their old jerseys, and I'm talking not the white on the arms, guys. This is black, red trim, black, red trim again on the arms. This time they go full red with black trim and the old logo. I and I, I, I'm not saying Ottawa's got the best one, but guys, Ottawa this year, they may not make a whole lot of money in ticket sales. They may not make a whole lot of money because their team's good. They're gonna make a crap ton of money though. And Peyton, I'll let you start off. They're going to make a crap ton of money just on their jersey sales because they brought back the old ones, and now they got this reverse retro one. I like the Ottawa Senator sweaters. As a Leafs fan, I know it's going to hate some people, but Ottawa's doing it right. They're doing it right after the abomination that they had from 2007 up until last year. Uh, Just that weird design that didn't fit their brand at all. So, they're going back to basics, and this is just a really good reversal of what they brought back, and uh, very simple, very clean, and very elegant. Alex, what do you think about these? Uh, so I'm going to say these are these are number three, number three best jerseys. It's it's awesome. It goes perfect with their other two jerseys that they have. This fits in perfect as a third alternate that not only can they use this year but years to come. Um, really clean. It, oh, I love that shade of red. I really do. It's, it's, it's to the point where it's, it's not too aggressive, but it's, it's towing that line. Cause it's, it's good. Cause it's really just them flipping the colors around. I mean, Alex, I mean, you remember back, I'd say the 2012 to maybe 2015, 16, when the, when the Griffins, they wore like those Washington sweaters, but they wore those on Wednesday nights. This is like a Jersey that, Ottawa says, hey, if we have a home game on a Friday, these will be the jerseys we have, and then they wear the blacks every other night of the week at home. I think I like it. Well, honestly, though, and um, I had to call around and ask, but I think they might have had some different and new um, creative team members brought in uh, prior to this season. So all of the all of the stuff with the old jerseys coming back and them be, being basically like, hey, we're already using the old jerseys. Let's just have an old third jerseys. I think that's a huge reason why they went with this jersey. It's simple. It's basic, and I love it. So now the next one is the Philadelphia Flyers. And this one, Alex, this is one of the few that got leaked. We'll get to Pittsburgh here in a second. And we both gave our takes on it. I mean... Uh, okay, I, I said that. That's what I said. I'm like, okay, that's. I mean, they're flipping the white. They're flipping the white and the black on the shoulders. That's what it looked like in the '90s, and you know, I'm okay with it. I mean, I'm not against it, but I'm not gonna go crazy for it. 
They should have went with the black jerseys. The black with the white shoulders. Like the, the ones that... Uh, Jeremy Roenick. Keith local Primo. Boy, local boy, Mike Knubel. Kentwood High School hockey legend, Mike Knubel. Don't forget that. Uh, That's why I'm saying local boy. Our mother knew him, apparently. Um, yeah. Peyton, I mean, what do you think? I mean, like I said, this was... You know, the 90s, going into the 2000s, flyers. Nothing super fancy about this one, just kind of a, just a flip, just a color flip. This one's just kind of meh when I look at it. I wasn't really a fan of the black jerseys, but Alex brings a good point. Maybe this would have done great with the black and then the orange on the shoulders and the white everywhere else. So, um, yeah, I think, when you think of it, uh, the black probably would have been better. This one, again, just kind of strange, kind of odd. I'm trying to squint my eyes to see if I can try to flip them just to see what it'll look like. And it just makes me look weird on camera. So I'm not going to, I'm going to stop doing it. I'm trying to see what it would look like, but it'd be interesting. Pittsburgh's one of the other ones I got leaked. I, and then I said about this one, I like it because that was around. I would have liked to have seen guys. Maybe it's just me. The nineties Pittsburgh sweaters with the, with the gray arms or even the yellow arms, the white ones, the black with like the penguin going across. It looked like with the black ones. I would have liked to have seen that, but instead they go with the 92 or the 93, 94 ones with the, where they were black with these, but instead they go with the white with the Pittsburgh going diagonally across Peyton. I mean, I like what they're going with it. I, then again, that's just me. Like I said, me being retro, I would like to have seen one kind of sweater, but they went with a different one. It's not bad. I absolutely despise the Robo Penguin, so I can't agree with you on that one. No. When I look at this sweater, the white one with the, the gold Pittsburgh lettering, for whatever reason, every time I look at it on social media, it gets nothing but hate, but I actually love it. I think Pittsburgh did a phenomenal job on this design, and it's kind of reminiscent of the city with what you see with the Steelers and the Pirates, and, and the Penguins brand just fits right in there. Oh, Alex, what pay- what word did Peyton use just there? What did he use? What word did he use? You never would have guessed it. He said phenomenal, guys. <laughs> phenomenal. The official word of Alex. Alex, how do you spell phenomenal? Uh, sure. P-E. You it an I. I know you spell it wrong because all of our logins are spelled wrong. But Alex, I mean, you like we get we had your take on it as well. This jersey is it's good. It's it's good. Pittsburgh's is. It just reminds me of Yarmor Yager. That's all it is. It's funny because is that I I can't see the the face of the person modeling it, but the guy the guy or the gal has got really long hair, so I guess it works out in the end. <laughs> but true, I think it was a, a gal. I think I saw like the full body one, like I, the promo shoot that they did. I did think, they? I think. They had to have filmed these recently because everyone's wearing sweaters underneath these, and they have like the lace coming over the top of them. Or is that the jersey? That's not true. Not everyone has a sweater on her. I think uh, the Boston the Boston one is not that does not have a sweatshirt under it. It seems like a lot of them are wearing them. But then again, like I said, may have done recently. Next one, guys, one that I'm just uh I'm just uh, so close because I just then again I liked I love the the teal and I love the black ones. San Jose Sharks. It's the design, it's the logo. Gray. Come on. Alex, they had me there. They almost had me. For this reason and this reason alone, that this is why they should be kicked out of downtown San Jose. Ooh, that's one thing we haven't talked about on the show yet. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. But Alex, next coming week when more com- information comes out. Yeah, coming in there with the lemon zest, just squeezing it over the wounds there. 
this is why Thornton leaving. No, I, no. But Alex, I mean, what do you think about these sweaters in total in general? Other than that, they're apparently an abomination. What don't you like about them? <sighs> they're just not good. Yeah. I, I I don't like the shade of gray. The the old aquamarine feel is just gross looking. I'm I'm sorry. This is just sad. Like they could have went with anything in the world, literally anything. And there's like, nah, we're just gonna pick the ugliest jersey we've ever had. The, oh, I'm trying to think. This was the Jonathan Chichu Star Sharks. There, Joe Thornton had not been traded when these came out yet. He was still in Boston. Patrick Marlowe was getting popular. Nah, getting Abakov, I guess, was their starter after Mike Vernon left. Peyton. Like I said, I liked the I liked those jerseys in their day. These ones, though, it's ah, they had they had a chance here. That design is my favorite in the history of the Sharks, besides that original one. But uh, I thought this uniform design is about as good as it's gotten with San Jose. I don't know why they decided to incorporate orange into their uniforms. I think that's not a fit at all. But I agree with you 100. percent This design is great, but. Oh, just the wrong color match. And another team that goes with gray and absolutely fails. Well, Alex, I remember, I think we talked about this. The Sharks, the leaked ones that we saw were the original Sharks logos, but with black instead of the teal. The teal was going to be a trim. It was going to be black. I think those would have even been better than this. They, they probably would have been. And this this goes back to the same concept of, you know, they used to have a, a, a black jersey, you know, way back when. And then they decided to make it an alternative uh, alternate jersey, um, you know, within the past, like, five years or so. Yeah. So they, it's just like, all right, well, what else do we have? Right. The next one is the St. Louis Blues. And this one, guys, I, I think we all kind of saw it coming in terms of what they were going to do. Listen, if I wanted to have Ronald McDonald on my jersey, I would have just put Ronald McDonald, put the clown on there. That's what I'm getting the Ronald McDonald look out of this one, guys. Peyton, what about you? What do you think? I think it's the price is right losing sound. Oh, dang. I don't have my meme board on my phone put up. I actually I probably couldn't play with you guys on the phone. But that that's what I'm getting with this one. I because I love the blue ones. The blue ones, like I I want a Curtis Joseph blue of this, of the well, the actual original kind of outline for this one, but Alex, I just, uh, I could, you saw where I was coming from, but I don't think they could have really done anything else. They should have just went with the blue. They, they really should have just brought back, they, they, brought back the baby blues. Well, not the baby blues, but like this exact Jersey, like the Wayne Gretzky era Jersey where it's Gretzky and Hall, but just blue. Well, that's what they did. They brought them back. They brought them back last season or last season or the year before. Because they wore them a couple times, but that's why I think that's the one thing I got to keep reminding myself. This is reverse retro, not retro, just reverse retro, which is why the next one, Tampa Bay, they dropped the ball and had an opportunity. They literally, Alex, took the blue from the lightning bolt jerseys, but just said, that's it. That's all we need. Why, why couldn't they have added the lightning bolt? Alex. Well, oh, there you are. Uh, no, no, I'm here. I'm. Meh. Eh. It's another meh jersey. It's not inherently bad. It's not great. Yeah. 
I mean, that's really all I got to buy on that one. It looks just like their 2000s and their original jerseys, but blue. Peyton, it's it's just incredibly basic. I think it's fine. I, I love the 04 design. That fine is a four-letter word starts with F, Peyton. Don't give me fine. It's either decent, great, or horrible. <laughs> well, decent kind of goes along with fine. Okay. But I will say, a little Easter egg. They did bring back the armpit victory stripes, so that's kind of cool. Okay, yeah, I do see that now. Now I look at it. That I'll allow it. I'll allow it. I mean, I'm just I'm kind of glad they went away from the Toronto Maple Leafs looking one, which leads us to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, Rose. okay, this one, guys, is because oh. here's the thing. Because Alex, you know, I have the 1970s Mike Palmatier jersey. I put Palmatier on the back of it, which is kind of what they're basing off here. And the Toronto Maple Leafs logo. That's the kind of the font they had. That's what they had back in the 60s. Here's the problem, though. The slight silver they throw into there, Alex and Peyton, you're an NFL guy, too. It looks like the identical kind of outline of the Detroit Lions jersey. Am I wrong there, guys? I mean, it's a team that consistently loses and disappoints its fan base. So, yeah, let's go with that. Oh, man. Peyton. (laughs) Hold on. Before, Before we get to Peyton, I just have to say this. You could have just went with the wartime jersey. Oh, yes. We talked about that. You could have just done what the Senators did well, and just looked at what you already have. And you're like, well, we already have the old style Leaf logo. So why don't we just have another blue jersey, which you check for this. And why don't we use an old design? Check for this. But why don't we make it actually look good? They messed up. Hey, Ian, what do you think? Were they that afraid to use the Harold Ballard logo? Yes. <laughs> yeah. this, this, this to me, this to me is the worst one because you just look at it and you go, why? I just, I mean, they, they didn't go wrong going with the seventies era stripe pattern, but awful logo to use. And it just does not come together at all. I, I'd say this, guys, because I use this jersey if I play online with the Leafs, is the one they wore in the 2000s. They brought back in the 2000s the one with the white jersey with the blue shoulders. You could have even done that blue with the white shoulders, and I would have been okay with that. But this comes out, and I'm just like, at first, I'm like, oh, cool. It looks like the 70s one, the one that I have. But I see the silver, and I'm just like, you done did too much. It's like, I'm not saying the exact similarity to the Boston jersey, but they were just trying to flip it and trying to do too much with it. But that's... They honestly just look like they took the entire arsenal of what the Toronto Maple Leafs have had as far as his like jerseys goes, threw them in a blender, and baked it at three fifty. Should they have done it at four twenty? Yeah, I mean, it would have been more creative at that point. Yeah, no kidding. Ah, uh, marijuana jokes. We got them here on the Kula Show. Um, all right, so the next one, only got a few more left here. The Vancouver Canucks, and. Once again, reverse retro. They just take the red out of those 2000s jerseys. The Todd Bertuzzi, not sucker punching because he didn't wear those when he went after Steve Moore. Take the red out, throw the green in. I I mean, I would have liked to have seen the skate blade, but if you guys look back on the history of the skate blade jersey, they did it so many different ways back then. They probably couldn't do any more with it. So I'm okay with their selection here. Payton? I think the skate blade slash spaghetti uniforms are way overrated in hockey lore. And then the 
gradient jersey of the early 2000s is horrid, but yet, with the current colors, I think it works great. I, th- I think it's one of the best. Alex, I mean, you know, that this was another one of those, because I, whenever I played NHL on the computer on PS2, I would always go alternate. So I would wear, if I was Vancouver, playing Vancouver, I would either throw out the... Not the not the Warrior V ones. Those ones were stupid. But I'd either go with the classic blue with the with the skate rink logo on it, or I would wear the red with the Vancouver the current Vancouver logo. This time they go with the green. What do you think? I gotta say this one of the jerseys that surprised surprised me in the fact that I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm for it. I I think I like what Peyton said. It's the the fact that the colors are to what they use now, I'm it's it's not a bad jersey at all. I I I can go with you on that one. The next one, the team that literally had no reason doing a jersey, none whatsoever, just wanted to be part of the club, the Vegas Golden Knights. It literally looks like guys. Imagine if they took the Calgary, the blasty Calgary. No, pardon me. If you took the Mika Kippersoff 04 red Calgary Flames jerseys, rip off the C, put a couple swords going diagonally, and put a star in the middle. That's this jersey, Alex. Did Vegas just didn't want to be left out? Did they? No comment. <laughs> Peyton, I thought for sure what they would come out with would be just. Absolutely horrid. And my live reaction when I saw this when it leaked was, it's not terrible. Um, they actually chose a good shade of red, and I think it's actually better than that gold jersey that they released this summer. So I, th- I think it's uh, I think it's fine. Fine. <laughs> no, I won't give it to you twice, Peyton. But yeah, yeah I wanted you to scream again. The gold one, yeah, that one, when that one came out, I, I said this on the air. I thought the gold one was the one they were going to wear initially. I thought they were going to go with that instead of the black and gray, but they went with that, and they bring out the gold, and now they bring out this thing. I'm just like, listen, it's going to look, uh, the gold one's going to look awful on TV. This one may not blind you and not actually give you an eyesore when you're watching a hockey game. So I am, uh, I'm, I'm not happy with it, but I'm not going to throw it into a, just absolutely just throw it at someone and say, burn this thing alive. I think they could have, you know, if they really wanted to pay homage to the old days, and this would have been kind of bad given the fact that San Jose is right, right down the road, but the Las Vegas thunder bring back those jerseys, like somehow do that with the Knights or something. But then again, that's with the teal and the black. And, but then again, once again, my historical coming out of me, speaking of historical and, and this, once again, this is another leaked Jersey that came out. The Washington Capitals, Russian Machine Never Breaks, posted this before it came out. I, you know, and Alex and I, and I said this on the show, I loved the jerseys when, they, when I was a kid. The blue with the black down diagonal, the screaming bald eagle. I loved them when I was a kid. I thought, once again, that's just me going back saying, hey, just wear those. Wear the other, wear the old ones, but they got to kind of do it with the new colors. So they throw in the red, white, and blue. Not awful. Peyton, I you know they're not bad, but they're they're they are what they are. I do like the screaming eagle. I thought it was great with the light blue when they were in the Stanley Cup final. The black version of it with orange in the capital, I thought it was absolutely horrid. But um, yeah, bringing this back, I don't think it's such a bad idea. It kind of brings back the memories of the Ovechkin uh, falling down goal against the Coyotes and. 
New colors. I mean, it comes together okay. I'm, I'm, I hate that number font, but I guess you still got to stay true to form if you're going to bring back that uniform. I would love because I can just about remember that '98 team that they had. They had that team was stacked. They had a young Sergey Gonchar, a rookie Richard Zednick, Peter Bondra was at his peak. Phil Housley was on that team. Only the goalie was absolutely just tearing apart the league. Chris Simon was a brute force. Dale Hunter was on that team. Good Lord. That team was so good. And they got throttled by Detroit in that series. That team was so good. Alex, you know, we heard your take, but just kind of remind the folks at home what you thought of these capital jerseys. Good Jersey folks. Take this one to the bank. This, this is the one that, Hey, it's not the exact same as it was, but man is still pretty. I agree with you there. All right, guys, the last one here. And listen, I, we harp on the Islanders because they didn't do anything. These Winnipeg Jets ones, guys, you look at these and you wish they didn't do anything. Alex, they are. that's the design of the original, not the original WHA team, but the team that came from the WHA into the NHL with the long stripe down the arms. They inserted the new colors, but the gray. If they had made them white, I think it'd been okay. But they made it gray, and that's what ruined it. <sighs> On a sigh of despair. I, I I don't I don't even know, man. How, what what is this? What is it? that? That gray is such a shade. No, it's sad. This is the fi- this is the fifty first shade of gray, guys. This is the bad one, the one they didn't want to mention in this, the book. This. This jersey is the the feeling that you get in in your heart in your soul when you're about to take the fitness grand pacer test. Um, it's just it's just you just you don't want it. I guess you just had to be you just have to do it, but it's it's just it, no, no. They're just they're just trying way too much, and I mean Peyton, I and I. Uh... They, they could have done so much. They could have done better. They could have done so much better. And I like the idea they went back to the original look of the of the jerseys, the original design. But the colors, they, they just don't work. I think the 90s design was probably the best they ever had. Um, and yeah, there's, there's so much they could have done with this. And I was thinking it was going to be white with the dark blue shoulders and light blue trim. And yeah, another team that just ruins itself by going gray. Just uh, shame, shame, shame. So before we all, before we tune off here on our almost like a podcast issue where we just keep going on forever, give us, so Alex, we'll start with you. Give us your worst of the bunch first and then your best. Alex, take it away. Uh, worst of the bunch is definitely Detroit. It's a practice jersey. I'm sorry. You should be ashamed of yourself. That's the bunch has to be the Colorado Avalanche jersey. Yeah, and that that's a pretty there's a pretty big group of people that could, would concur with you on that one, which is hilarious because Detroit and Colorado. I remember the '90s and early 2000s. What a great time that was. Peyton, your worst and your best. The worst one has to be, I think, Toronto because again, you just look at it and you go, why? Personal, no. You know, uh, yeah. No. <laughs> um, 
Hey, I have a soft spot for the Leafs too, man. I'm a big Steve Dangle fan. But, I was about to say, I'm uh, like, I know you're a Dangle fan. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to send this to him, and I'm going to let, I'm going to have him let you know. One Dangle fan. That, well, Alex, did you, then, Alex, did you know this? Did you know Peyton was in the the video when Dangle and this SDP went down to Nashville for the finals? Peyton's actually in the video. I did not know that. Well, the more you know, now you know, as Bill Nye would say. He wrote a part of his book. Like uh, technically, I'm in the book too because I reminded him of when he was at the NHL awards, and these girls thought that he was Rod Brennamore's son. Really, Rod? Br- was, <laughs> I reminded him of that. To which, you know, him after about ten beers was he had that shocked Steve Dangle face. Oh, jeez! I forgot about that. <laughs> and sure enough, he put it in his book. <laughs> Well, I remember the story that he got mistaken by Kelly Rudy. He was John Tavares. And I'm like, well, that's quite the guy to be confused for. Same award show. Yeah. Oh, man. But Peyton, you're uh, so you say the worst was the Leafs, even though, you know, you're just not, I'm not saying you're wrong, but, you know, you're, are you right, though? <laughs> Best yeah. one. It's hard to argue with the Avalanche, but honorable mention to Arizona. They took a horrible jersey and took lemons and made lemonade. I don't know. Yeah, that's that. I'd say I, that's a good way to analyze it to give your take. I, for me, I'll be different here for the worst one. I'll go with New York just because of lack of originality. Just, I mean, it's either New York or Winnipeg for me. And at least they tried something in Winnipeg. New York, they just they just didn't. They just took an old. They whereas they like I say with other teams, you could have taken an old jersey and just put it back into into the cycle again. This one, no one cared about. This is the one like, oh, this is literally just the one they have now. It, that's what I get. So I'll go with the Islanders for my worst one. And yes, I would say Colorado is the best one. But just to be different, I won't give it to the Mighty Ducks. I won't do that. That's too easy for me. I'm going to go with, just because I love the old, I love the Pavel Bure Florida Panthers. I'm going to go with Florida just because, like Peyton said, with the, the colors they have now, it works with this design. The, the, the Nala logo they have now looks kind of dumb but this with this logo i think it works out so a lot of sunbelt action there guys so you know alex goes with arizona i go i mean obviously colorado's not a sunbelt team but florida getting in I, there i didn't go with arizona Ty. you said arizona was good i You're, said arizona was good i didn't say they're, they're the best I'm surprised you didn't go with your Hartford boys there, Alex. I mean, I'm, I, should, I, should I tweet at Carolina and tell them that you or you're a betrayer? You Carolina Crusaders turning your back on the team that brought you to popularity? I'm not turning my back on the team at all. I'm just saying. <laughs> you, you, you can't beat that jersey. You can't I beat mean, the Bardique, but in that rich maroon, burgundy, whatever you want to call it. It's pretty. It is. You can't beat the Nordique sweater, but as we learned in the past with the Nordique, you could beat them in the playoffs because, by golly, they always seem to do that. Well, this you is can't the, beat them, you take their team away. You take their team away, exactly. They finish first in the East, lose to New York in the first round. You're moving to Denver, boys. All right, well, this has been a very long episode, three hours now. This is back to almost seem like we used to do the old free agent shows we used to do. We've been talking with Peyton Turnage up here. Oh, I got to put my finger back. Peyton Turnage up here. Alex Kuehl down here calling in. We've been talking about the sweaters for the last... Kuehl! Kuehl. It's pronounced Kuehl. Whoever's hosting the show gets... Whoever hosts the show gets to determine how it's pronounced. Thank you guys very much for talking. Peyton, you are an official member of the Five Timers Club. You know what that means? It means I feel like Tom Hanks on SNL. 
Well, I guess, yeah, there's that too. I don't know if you get the same kind of popularity, but you get a free t-shirt though. You get a free t-shirt from, from the five timers club, which you could get as I have to quickly somehow move your guys' face out of the way for all this stuff here. Let me just, I, I got to move it out. Oh, crud. This is, it's not good. All right. Just look at the stuff guys. The, you know, the on the phone things in the way, but who cares? Look, we have cool swag and stuff. But Peyton and Alex, thank you guys very much for joining us today on this lovely long episode. Talked about sweaters, talked about all the great stuff. Peyton, I'm going to have to keep you on the line because I got to get your shirt size and your favorite number because you get a name and number on it and everything because that's how cool we are oh, here. Man. I feel official. You feel official. Hey, you are on Harrison and Thomas's level now, except you can cha- you can actually determine how your shirt looks. I'm, I, I pigeon-held them on – they said, you guys get one design and one design only. Then again, they're a Red Wings fan, so it kind of worked out for them. But thank you all for watching. Once again, obviously, here on TKS Overtime, you can watch this on the replay or on the podcatcher. I don't know why I'm typing. I'm saying it like it's live, but I'm like, we're not live. No one's watching us right now. <laughs> this is going live. <laughs> I'm not going to swear because even though we're off air, I can't do that. FCC would not approve. Peyton and Alex, great show. Alex, hopefully I'll see you next week. Peyton. We'll definitely talk to you later on when you become a member of the Six Timers Club. You don't get anything for that, though. We just say hi and how are you doing. We don't nothing special for that one, unfortunately. Um, but we will see you all next time. Make sure you use the hashtag TKS. We can talk about this show at the Cule Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you all once again, Peyton and Alex. We'll see you guys, and we'll see you all next time here on the Cule Show. Bye now.